Welcome back to the Bunce Cast. Uh, you like that new intro music? You vibin'? Well, I wrote that. Uh, today I've got Henry Poilevi on the Bunce Cast. Uh, you shouldn't be intimidated by the French spelling of his first name. He's a, a real American patriot. You can call him Henry, not Henri. It's okay. He's a close real-life friend of mine. Uh, I play bass in his band, our band, Wallpaper Window, in which he's the guitarist, multi-instrumentalist, and uh, one of the vocalists. You can check out uh, his solo project, The Karma Littles, which is spelled uh, spelled exactly like you would think. Uh, caramel, like the, the candy, Ittles. Kind of a little pun on uh, Carmelite nuns hidden in there for all you Catholics out there. Because Henry is indeed a weird, esoteric Twitter Christian Catholic. And we're going to get into all that. Uh, His solo project albums, too, before I forget, uh, are Wreath, which is a fantastic album. Lots of standout songs on there. Uh, Chlorine, The Future is Clear, Christmas is Over for Good. Uh, they're, all, they're all fantastic, though. It's, a, it's really an experience. It's like an older... The music isn't older, but the, the experience is back when albums were uh, a full immersion in a, a storyline. You know, a concept album. That's all I'm trying to say. Uh, it harkens back to that arrow that album-centric era of music. So yeah, Wreath and Apiary is the new album, which is really just as good. Um, The song Dummy is a real banger as well. So anyway, I was saying that Henry uh, is a devotee of esoteric, hermetic Catholicism, uh, particularly... Yeah, Meditations on the Tarot, A Journey into Christian Hermeticism by Valentin Tomberg, who's a uh, Estonian mystic. Yeah, I bet you weren't expecting Estonians to pop up in this episode of the Bunchcast, but uh, they did. Uh, so on this podcast, to be a little formal about it, we talk about the religious spiritual life uh, the vibes of the West Coast. Uh, we talk about the future of music. We talk like craftsmen, really. It's like it, you're listening to a conversation between two craftsmen, but don't worry, it's uh, accessible to the layman. We don't get too too deep into the the niceties of craft. This is more about it's an expansion vision. It's expansive vision. It's open to everyone. Um, yeah, we get into a lot too about like the experiences that the formative experiences in the searching for some kind of spirituality. And we talk about like drug mysticism and whether that's all it's cracked up to be. I would say we're both pretty skeptical on that front. Um, It's a great conversation all around. Uh, Like a, a long leisurely, you know, sort of Joe Rogan at its longest length podcast you can kind of i would recommend listening to the whole thing and just drifting away into it but if you need to 
uh, you know, I think if you just skipped around randomly, you would find all sorts of little, little nuggets in there. But uh, anyway, it was a great conversation, and uh, let's get into it. I'm reading. Um, well, I kind of read it like when I was in college, but I, I kind of skimmed over it. But like the screw tape letters, I'm trying to get back to oh, like, yeah. the basics. Yeah, the, the screw the tape letters are really of, good. Of um, kind of Christian literature. Yeah. And um, it's really good because it's kind of like, I feel like I need kind of, um, there's this kind of sense of like, you know, when you're in church and stuff, you could, you could hear all the stuff about, you know, the, the, you know, the grandeur of God and, and Christ and everything. But there comes times where you just need to focus on the demonic just to kind of know the kind of the antithesis and then like through the antithesis of of the good you actually like end up understanding the good more you know yeah so like i don't know i i i I find myself into into that a lot like you know there's there's definitely a part of me that believes in the demonic more than in god because the demonic is more like visceral to the body and and into the yeah to like everyday problems and everyday like um neuroses and things like that and it's kind of good to know that it actually is like an enemy that's fighting against that's like trying to attack you um because then you're able to like kind of really um kind of discern between like there's the whole like the sermon of spirits thing i don't know if you've ever heard of that yeah um, but that's something I'm like trying to figure out right now is 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 that there are thoughts that actually aren't your thoughts, and that kind of makes sense because like a lot of people will say things that they clearly didn't even make up, but like they pretend they do, and yeah, um, there's many examples of that. It's kind of interesting to see when people say things are like you you did not invent that, you're yeah. And it's kind of weird that you're pretending like you did. <laughs> I mean, there's many examples I could I could say, but we don't need to go there. Yeah, I guess discernment of spirits is like if you have a thought that's like you should look at some weird porn right now. You ask yourself, is that coming from the devil or coming from an angel? And then you decide right. it's the devil, well, unless it's, it's, it's unless the angel wants you to look at the weird porn to like help save the person in the porn and kind of go on a taxi driver style crusade to liberate them (laughs) by like killing all these people right that would be the angel inspiring you to do that that sounds like the devil pretending to be an angel yeah saying i'm an angel and you need to save this you know you need to do a taxi driver thing with the porn star no, Henry. I think it's an, an angel. Yeah, I don't know about that, man. I think I think uh, you got you got your angels and demons mixed up. Maybe that maybe that's true. So yeah, you're doing. Sounds like you're getting into some Jesuit spirituality. Um, what's Jesuit about it? Well, they were the ones who came up with all that stuff, with the discernment of spirits. But I don't know if they came up with it, but it definitely is a key part of the. Uh, Ignatian Saint Ignatius's spirituality. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense because it's it's Jesuits used to be 
like soldiers like they would be kind of soldiers of christ like that was kind of their thing like they would like yeah. really be be very physical with what they do like they're really going out into the world and they're missionaries and and um yeah they, they have like kind of a they they were very like masculine kind of they weren't very contemplative as far as I know. They were more active. Well, it's supposed to be contemplation in action is one of their principles. Okay, well that makes sense. You do sense, both. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know too much about yeah, Ignatius or the Jesuits. I just know how all I really know is that, you know, they used to be badass and now Catholics yeah. just complain about them all the time. Now because they're, they're so sneaky. Well, no, but now they're just like they're they're not like how they used to be. Well, people complain about them because they're liberals. Right, but they didn't used to be that way. So that's what's yeah. that's what's interesting, I guess, and that's what's um a cause of of I don't know, conflict within the church is that it's um is that they really did change and maybe even flip to like this other end of yeah of existence. Yeah, I remember in this one early Evelyn Waugh book, there's this part where there's a Jesuit in it and the Jesuit in his like briefcase it turns out that there's like a fake beard and like currencies from like all different countries and different denominations yeah. and it's just like a jo- joke you know based on this like weird conspiratorial craftiness of the jesuits but why actually converted to catholicism later but mm-hmm. yeah it's kind of funny because saint ignatius used to be he was a warrior and i think it was when he was recovering from an injury on the battlefield that he converted oh i didn't to know the that religious yet. life yeah. yeah i'm learning all that I, i'm learning from you i mean because i i again i don't really know much about it but it's it's um i do know that like uh, an uh and against nature um uh Husman talks about like his jesuit education which is yeah basically like in france like you're you're educated by by jesuits and they have kind of like this I on a like a go getter kind of like kind of in your face sort of thing that that, yeah. that Husman found like very charming even though he's not really a believer in it but he's still like not nostalgic but he's he like relishes his memories being educated by like being educated in like a Jesuit yeah French school um that was back when they used to spank you well, yeah, they would. I mean, they would. Wouldn't they just like hit you with a paddle or something? Or like a or book, a book, the Bible. <laughs> like a Bible. That's, just, that's what I was going to say. The Bible. I've um, always wondered with that, like, it was such a trope in TV, and boomers would go on and on about getting hit by nuns and beat by nuns when they were in school. Yeah. It was always something you'd heard. Was like the nuns were mean and they would like beat you, and I wonder how true that is. Everyone I've asked who's an old boomer who did go to Catholic school is like, yeah, it was true. The nuns were mean, and they did beat you. But, like, I know nuns today, and they don't really seem like people who'd be beating the shit out of little kids. Hmm. Well, there's but a I've lot only of... met a couple. Yeah, your sample size is... Maybe I only small. met the acceptable face of you only, modern you only, you, only you only encountered, like the people that that talk about being catholic school who are like the obnoxious ones yeah um not the ones who are just i feel like the 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 nuns that are they're like mad that they like they work at a catholic school that's not really catholic anymore maybe or or isn't like it's falling into forces and yeah that's that's what a lot of that's what i hear about a lot in the church is like catholic schools aren't really catholic 
mm-hmm. and so it's kind of a moot point for yeah. for people like oh i went to a catholic school like i know about the church but it's like i mean do you because it's not really well the some, same thing. some kid on twitter told me that he learned he's like every priest i've ever talked to told me that there's no afterlife yeah that's really? what he said he's like i've gone to catholic school i was like i don't really <laughs> think that that's true <laughs> like, i was like where how that seems insane how could you like i've talked to priests and they've never been like yeah you just die <laughs> that's not catholic doctrine i don't know why he was making this stuff up or maybe he did go to some sort of weird warped bizarro universe mm-hmm. catholic school where they teach you the opposite of christian doctrine like some sort of Aleister Crowley Catholic school. Well, there there are definitely I I've talked to some Catholics that do claim that like whenever there's they they claim that there's a lot of infil, infiltration yeah of like you know whatever it is um you know the you know whoever I'm sure you could fill in the blanks like is taking over the church, you know. Yeah. Um <laughs> um but I'm sure some of that's true. I'm sure there's definitely some like um you know some communist or something like infiltration in yeah. seminaries and things like that i'm sure there's some truth to that um well it's really the freemasons who are the ones or freemasons to... whatever like it is it is kind of interesting like like i i asked um i asked a friend of mine like like how do how do we know that the eucharist is for real and she said well how come so, so one of the things um, is, uh, you know, like taking taking the host into your mouth. Yeah. You know what I mean? As opposed to like in your hand. Yeah. That's like that's like the trad way to do it, right? Like so, yeah. so like post Vatican II, you could take it in your hand. But one of the main reasons that for all of history, like it had to go directly into your mouth, is because they had to make sure that you ate it and didn't like take it to a black mass. Oh yeah. Or something like that. Yeah, because they try to get consecrated hosts so that they exactly, can defile. Yeah defile the actual body of christ right and it's like that that to me is really compelling because if it is true that like occultists and and the the idea with with like a demonic occult occultist is that they they actually do believe that there's power in in jesus and in christ right and in god and they're trying to like use that for their own purposes Mm -hmm. um their own like nefarious like their own like will or whatever yeah um and that to me is like really com- com- a compelling reason why it's powerful. And again, that's kind of going back to what I was saying about like, if you study the demonic, you may, you may yeah. actually come to the truth through its opposite, which like falls into my temperament pretty well. Yeah. It's like the way the evil is para- parasitic on the good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They need, they need it. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing with, yeah. Like, like, you know, perverse desires that the demonic gives you is that it's actually like feeding upon something good Mm -hmm. um yeah all that stuff's really interesting would you go to a black mass no yeah i guess that makes sense because you're catholic and all yeah but just to see it just from like a viewing platform um i'd be freaked out i don't think i'd i don't think i'd be down for that particular thing I mean, uh, I don't know. It was kind of uh, 
I'd be curious though to see someone like sacrifice a goat as part of some voodoo ceremony or something. But you're like a vegetarian. Yeah, but I wouldn't be participating. I'd just be watching the goat sacrifice. I think happen. that would freak you out. I don't think you want to see a goat being slaughtered for demonic purposes. Whatever. I'm a I'm a student of people. Kind of like random current thing thing, but like um. You remember, like, the – well, like, there was the Grammys a couple weeks ago? Oh, and, yeah. And there was, like, um, like Sam Smith was, like, doing, like, some devil – Yeah. Like, a, it was, like, a performance. Did you see any, like, like screenshots I vaguely, um, vaguely was aware of that. It seems kind of like old hat at this point. Like, well, because uh, well, Lil Nas okay, yeah. X was already doing right, the whole, right. So, like, so, so that's satanic that the, thing. That was the point I was gonna make. Was the the Church of Satan? Yeah. They they made a statement saying that like, actually, what Sam Smith did, because like the conservatives were all, you know, uptight about it. They're like this is like the sign of the decline of whatever that sort yeah. of discourse. But the Church of Satan was like, yeah, this is not actually that impressive. Like this has been done many times before, which is true. Like that's Marilyn cool. Manson. I don't know. Like. Yeah. Like like Ozzy Osbourne, whatever. Like if there's always been this flirting with like Lucifer in music. So I yeah. don't see how it's Yeah, they've kind of maxed out Henry's dog Marge is over here. Yeah, she's she's being um needy. She keeps moving around. <laughs> it's distracting, but oh. Uh... But yeah, it's like I actually kind of respect the Church of Satan in a weird way for kind of not giving these kind of flaccid, um, you know, kind of edge lord. You know what I mean? It's 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 not yeah. even edge lordy. It's it's like it's it's it is like Marilyn. It's like it, it's almost like a remnant from like the '90s or something where like musicians are trying to piss off like the evangelical right or something. Yeah, with this this idea that they rule the world or whatever, yeah, and all that stuff is so old hat now. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't I don't see how like you could believe that the evangelical right has any influence on like things that are actually relevant. Like for instance, I don't know, um, like tech or something, right? Mm-hmm. Like AI tech has nothing to do with the evangelical right. Yeah. You know, meta has nothing to do with the evangelical right. It's it's like a nerd kind of thing. Yeah. You know, it's like a nerd. It's yeah. like a it's like a it's like a nerd psyop of some kind. That's how I feel too. And also, all of the big names associated with evangelical Christianity are kind of dead now. Like Jerry Falwell and Pat Robertson, and yeah. Um. There's no one really representing it. Uh. But at the same time, I guess if you were, you know, going to make the counter argument, you'd be like, well, what about Roe v. Wade getting overturned? Doesn't that show that evangelical Christians still have cultural power? But we don't need to get into, into all that. But yeah, I know what you mean. That's just like that's like a political thing or a legal decision. But when it comes to actual like culture, not really. You know, I mean, back when I was in high school, I had some like evangelical friends and this one girl who's like parents uh well she'd like invite people over her house and they're like a hot tub and stuff and snacks but the real goal was to uh well wasn't i shouldn't say this because i like these people but there was maybe a an evangelical motive you know yeah you get a hot tub and then yeah yeah. (laughs) right but uh 
they're really nice people but um wait where was i going with all this the hot tub and the, yeah i guess that was like back then you'd hear them they had their uh the evangelical christians had their own writers and stuff they'd be like yeah the book the shack the purpose driven life you know these were like best-selling books the left behind books do you remember these um i, I don't know anything about evangelical christianity because i grew up in a completely non-christian environment yeah. you so. weren't in flyover country like me you weren't in the i was in, I in was the in, real pro-america parts of america where i grew up yeah i was in like a very affluent secular liberal yeah. suburb you know people aren't really that religious though even in the um the real pro-america parts of america i mean in the south they are but not in like random rural parts of pennsylvania semi-rural former coal mining parts of pennsylvania people are more just like mm. kind of casually backward in some of their views but not really like it's not like religious exactly but anyway yeah the uh the left behind books they were like um this they're major major big deal back in the early 2000s and they were about um how the rapture happens and all of the like protestants get taken up to heaven and then the rest of us are trapped on earth as like hellish events from the book of revelation start to unfold mm. but there's still a chance for the rest of us to like recognize christ and be saved but all the catholics get left behind so they don't right. get raptured up to heaven like all the evangelical christians yeah i remember so they like have to get over all their popery and all their their um right i remember the first the first time i talked to Someone who was, he, I mean, I guess he was evangelical, but he was kind of more just non-denominational, like Wisconsin. And um, we're talking about Catholicism, and he, 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 he was like, first of all, like, Catholics go to heaven. And that was like kind of weird, because he was saying as if it was like controversial within yeah. his community to, to say Catholics go to heaven. Yeah. And I was like, I, I, I thought that was implied, or at least I hope that was implied, but I guess it isn't. Yeah. Um, that someone who professes faith in christ is even in the evangelical view which is um i don't agree with a lot of it because they're they're um, i mean i don't even know where to begin with that but um they seem it seems that like well like there's like the calvinist like there's a lot of like crossover with calvinism which to me is just kind of like a, a disenchanted like no it's more like atheism is like a disenchanted calvinism of some kind yeah um it's like determinist you know like the the, the ter determinist worldview is very Calvinist, yeah. and um yeah i don't know i mean um i i think my my my, my temperament is 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 very non-evangelical in, in yeah. a lot of ways this is an anti-calvinist podcast for sure yeah um yeah one of the craziest things about calvinism which i guess is well known but i i still think it's like a wild is the idea that god creates people and damns them to hell like specifically to damn them to hell like he creates most people who've ever existed specifically to send them to hell like they haven't done anything wrong he just like wants to do this just for his own glory yeah it doesn't really make any sense yeah it's very crazy and it makes god into such a moral monster that who like defies any of our own moral intuitions that it's like, if God is so, so different from what seems good, 
then maybe like hell would not be so bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's like sort of like like making the good seem so monstrous that the bad seems like pretty good by comparison. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also just like it's a rejection of purgatory, which to me is purgatory is is weirdly just a big white pill because it's it it is like um i don't want to say it's like a second chance but i mean it's kind of what it is really yeah it's 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 um it's like things you're you have to actually start making decisions like when you're in purgatory yeah you can't just there's no there's no space to to fall into these like kind of slothful or kind of placid um mentalities about life yeah um, and these like kind of flippant attitudes um and so it's almost like that that also means it's really important to to use earthly life as an opportunity to like fully reject like the flippant mm-hmm. um and when you're in like a flippant state of mind to kind of like transmute it into um I don't know, some sort of statement about like the absurdity of life or something, but like with the kind of an awareness of, of transcending it of some kind. Yeah. Um, but there are people that just like the, just have completely resigned into it. And, and I don't know, I, I feel weird about hell, but at the same time, like I do know that there are people that are like really stubborn and I can't with my own, with my own um, limitations, like, perceive them getting out of that stubbornness Mm -hmm. because it's like really deep and and um that's kind of like what what i mean c.s lewis is the great divorce is yeah but can't can't god intervene to make them less stubborn by throwing some wild cards in their way that'll knock them off knock them out of their stasis well but it seems as if i mean this is the thing that, that i always struggle with is that like the the um the 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 moments one has with god or like being like they're so limited and they could be like distorted yeah um into like being perceived as other things or or whatever you know so it's it's so yeah i i feel like a like like one thing i think about is um is there's something about the christian um life or like that that is like it is like almost like an like too good to be true and i know chesterton says something like that like he he says like there's this thing that's like too good to be true and that that actually is but it's like too good and true or something yeah i don't know if if that's the way he says it but that's like the implication um but it is so easy for us like especially in the moment we're living in to kind of reject simplicity because complexity seems more truthful. Mm-hmm. And so like having a nuanced um, kind of like you take some things from Christianity, you take some things from like other whatever, right? Like you take all these little pieces and you like make it your like complex web of meaning or something. There's something about that, that, that I feel like it's going to fall apart when when the actual like simplicity of of what's actually true yeah kind of comes to fruition but that hasn't happened yet so we're kind of stuck in this kind of state where we can't just 
um accept like the the simplest like the seemingly simplistic thing that's like okay if you accept christ then like you're good but there is something to that that is also true but like we can't we're not able to embrace that simplicity yet yeah it's almost like we we things have gotten too complicated well i guess the issue i've always had with it was sort of that it, it just seemed like confusing to me what like accepting even though i believe in christ uh you know, as I understand him, I feel like this thing of like accepting Christ or like believing in Christ died for your sins. It's kind of like, well, what does that entail? Just kind of being like, yeah, it happened. Um, it feels like it has to be more, not more complex, but just a more um, profound change in your right. being than just being like, oh, yeah, I think this thing happened. Yeah. Yeah. And again, that that's something that I struggle with a lot, too. I mean, and many have struggled from that because a lot of what we're getting, like when we read St. Paul, like St. Paul is is in this state where he's he's he, isn't he, he's basically supposed to be the first person who actually enveloped Christ into himself. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the idea is like he's the first one to claim that, like, we are Christ, I think. Mm hmm. Um, I don't know exactly like the, the, the lineage of how that happens, but, but also St. Paul is, is, and I'm, I guess by proxy, the, the other apostles, they're, they're expecting something like big to happen. This is like after Jesus ascended and, and after the, um, you know, the Pentecost, after all of that, they were like expecting like the end, like they're expecting like the yeah. rapture Christ to come back like any minute. That's why you have like St. Paul saying, if you're married, um, just like, don't, don't think about it or something. Like, like, like if you have a wife, just pretend she doesn't matter or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, that, that's something that could only, he can only say if he's like expecting like, okay, these things don't really matter right now because like Christ is coming like any minute. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that didn't happen and it hasn't happened. And, yeah, and what that, do people make of that? It seems sort of weird that Paul seems to have been wrong about that. I mean, I think some people kind of tried to get around that by saying, well, like, the end kind of did happen, and we're living Well, it did happen, yeah. aftermath. I mean, for, for Jesus said, like, it is finished. So, like, whatever happened, happened, and it's done. And we're just living... We're living in this kind of weird intermediary... Yeah. Um, ...time. But this is also why... This is also what bothers me about American evangelicals is that they have this like apocalyptic view of everything. Yeah. Um, and you can only really have an apocalyptic view of things if you have like this, what I call like a schizo temperament, you know, like a schizo American yeah. temperament, which is like very specific to American Christianity and like American um, kind of ways of thinking is that we're always there's something about our condition as Americans that think that like, there's no way this could last. Yeah. Um, whereas I don't think that's the case in Europe, especially in like European Christianity, like with Catholicism is that it's not really, um, a thing of like, um, you know, this is going to be over soon. It's more yeah. like about the rhythms of the liturgical year and about, kind of cultivating something within yourself um 
and also about i mean having like a good time and resting and everything like that so (laughs) it's very different it's a very different expression you know yeah well i don't know i wonder how many europeans have the same uh, of the europeans who are still christians how many of them have the the same thing that a lot of american christians have or claim to have where you have like this like intense personal relationship with god where god is like telling you to do stuff all the time you know well the the god's like buy that lottery ticket pick these numbers you know i don't know why but it it, it's it seems to be very specific to our country yeah i think it, it could just because be because of kind of the history of individualism in our country and yeah and kind of this idea that like we're the chosen people or something um and is this yeah i just didn't i think i'm that's all right oh yeah good idea <laughs> There you go. Do that, yeah. Yeah. We're just doing some technical, technical mic, mic issues. Um, you ever seen the movie Take Shelter? Um, no, but I did see the end. You saw the end, yeah. <laughs> my my, uh, our mutual friend Joey Keegan, um, yeah. recommended that to me. It's really interesting. It's a very specifically like American prophetic kind of film. Yeah. About kind of doomsday prophecies i guess yeah um it's not like a religious movie but it has there's a there's a moment where the main character played by michael shannon it's like he's in this like cafeteria or something yeah and um he starts like preaching about the end um to everybody and he just sounds like a televangelist he sounds like a like a baptist preacher or something like that um The, the issue i've always had with the apocalypticism and being obsessed with the world coming to an end is like, let's say it, it even is going to come to an end, but you're someone who like believes not you, but you know, let's say there's someone who believes in all this stuff and then they just like, they're waiting for the end and they're sure it's going to happen, but then they just um, have a heart attack and die. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, the real problem isn't the world ending. The real problem is that we all die. It's not going to happen all at once, but it is going to happen regardless well, right. That, I mean, like, that's the idea. Is that, like, it's just like this weird obsessing about everything. I think it's like, well, there is that like in your own life. It's kind of like a way of like <laughs> projecting your own death out onto like everything and then like freaking out about it. But like avoiding the actual existential confrontation with the fact that like you are inevitably going to die, even if the apocalypse isn't right around the right. corner. I think that's that. Yeah, that's the response. Is is that there's this this impending doom that is our death, that a certain type of people need to need to make into this big like mythopoetic thing about the whole world or like about the whole universe or something. Yeah. Um, and even secular people, I would say, are. Um, are prone to this. Sometimes to an even greater extent. Yeah, I think secular people have an apocalypticism, you know, and a prone to see everything as hopeless and doomed. Yeah, yeah, you have like um, childless people who are like, yeah, I can't bring up someone into this world, you know. Yeah. And it's like it's always been a crazy thing to do. I mean, yeah. I support having kids, but it's always been a uh, I'm pro natalist, 
this is a pronatalist podcast hell yeah but it's um yeah it's always been a massive risk like you know so sam sam bunce's main prerogative is increasing the birth rate of the average per capita person <laughs> yeah that's the the true um if he can increase goal. if he can increase the birth rate by like between one and two then yeah. he's accomplished his mission on this podcast exactly um yeah but it, again it's it's it, it's true i mean the whole um kind of there's like the whole environmental religion that's literally just that it's like the world's yeah. coming to an end because of, of of climate change or something and it is whether it's true or happening or not it doesn't matter the fact that it is that it's it is an actual like religious statement yeah yeah, I'm not like commenting on the facts. I'm just saying that there is like a an overtly religious and apocalyptic style that's brought to it, you know? Yeah. And a, a way of psychologizing it in a way that's like catastrophizing and making everything hopeless and kind of like wanting that to be the case, I think. Yeah, they don't want to be personally responsible. They have to Well, well actually that's not right. They they feel personally responsible. I guess that's yeah the thing i mean i i don't um i don't know what to make of all of that um but so um you went to california recently <laughs> wildly shifting gears yeah, maybe we, not um yeah i did i was in la for a couple of days with the uh the gf um it was cool I didn't interact with a ton of Californians. I more just saw the the sights. But um it's it's you know, it's beautiful. The uh like the area, some of the beaches up by Malibu and a little past Malibu are pretty striking. Um lots of nature there. But the Hollywood Walk of Stars was a little weird. That was kinda like gross. But no grosser than like Times Square or the Vegas strip, you know? Maybe a little weirder which I think is good, but, mm. um, but yeah, I thought it was a cool area, but I don't know what I really have to say about it beyond that. I mean, I guess it does. We did go to like a meditation thing there and you do feel like Californians must be really into all that stuff. Like their native religion is yoga and Eastern philosophy because mm. it's touching the East. It's where the West becomes the East. Oh, I never thought of it that way. Yeah. But it is like the same ocean. Like it's this it's the Pacific. And I just I, I vividly remember cause cause I I went to college near Seattle. Um and so I was always by that body of water, the Puget Sound, which um, you know, through tentacles connects to the Pacific. Um, even though it's a good amount east from the actual like mainline coast, mm -hmm. you know. Um but I remember I was working at um, a free store. Yeah. Do you know what a free store is? It's a store where everything's free. Yeah, but it's like it's really just like a shed outside of this co-op <laughs> grocery store. Um, and I volunteered there, and it's basically just a bunch of garbage that you know, um, I don't know, just various vagabonds like, like will um, come and, and pick up stuff. Like muffin stumps. 
What are those? Well, the Seinfeld where Elaine makes a muffin top. She's only serving the top of the muffin to people. (laughs) And then they donate just the stumps to like a homeless shelter. But when they go to like the homeless shelter, people are like, yeah, here's some stumps of muffins. Or they give give the like like a giant like garbage bag full of muffin stumps to like the homeless shelter. And the lady is like, where's the top of the muffin? That's the best part. You think that homeless people just want to eat your muffin stumps? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah it's it's it was more like so the objects freeze, it was more like oh. un- imperishables like clothes and stuff like that but it was all garbage like in this free store it was all just garbage it was like a goodwill for like homeless people <laughs> that's basically what it was like a bunch of like weird ass like naked troll dolls um like that kind of thing or like a toilet seat it was really again it was literally a shed yeah. It was a shed that opened up, and then like I would like spread my wares, yeah, like vaguely into the parking lot, um, and uh, but anyway, so yeah, I just encountered like some various characters, and uh, there was this one guy, just a, a classic kind of West Coast, um, eccentric, where it's like you can't tell if he's homeless or not. Yeah, he probably has an abode, but it's not like, I don't know, like you know what I mean? It's uh-huh. not. It's the, the, the that, that's the thing about the West Coast is that. The uh, the the line between um, homeless and homed is uh, is a little more a little more vague. <laughs> yeah. In a way, here it's very obvious. It's like you know, like on the corner of Armitage and Damon in Chicago. There's there's um, there's that bus stop where that lady lives. Do you ever see that? Oh, um, no. But she has like a whole she has like a whole stack. And she just sleeps, and she's just been there for years. And she just, yeah. she just lives in this bus stop, and like no one seems to care or help her. Or there, there was this guy who lived. He seemed to be. I never talked to him or interacted with him actually, but he, he had like a book with him about like space, about like NASA and space, like a yeah. big coffee table book with like pictures in it. And he just kind of slept there on like a sleeping bag under the overpass um by irving park road for like a year or something and even when it was cold he would just be super bundled up it's like freezing you know it gets like negative right. negative temperatures but he just like bundled up there and he was there for a really long time yeah but then he just disappeared well yeah well anyways i mean anyway so, yeah so at the free store um there was this guy again i, I didn't know what his um his uh housing situation was but um he he kind of came and he was just like ranting about uh Fukushima. Oh yeah. And um about how the the uh cuz that was what in 2011 that was like Sounds the, right. the it was the um nuclear fallout in Japan from the tsunami. And he was saying this was this was so that was in 2011. This was 2014 that this um he was like okay Fukushima he's basically saying that like it took 3 years from like the waters yeah. like the nuclear waters to reach the west coast of america yeah so it's like you have like three years of like the of the nuclear fault like coming across whatever like mm-hmm. the water um and oddly at the time i found it very compelling because i did feel like there was some sort of energy coming from like the west yeah that was just like irradiating upon the coast and like you know, like it rained all the time, so you have like the Pacific waters like raining, and like fertilizing the weird like mycelium networks that are under everything that probably like manipulate everyone into having like batshit insane ideas and like yeah. schizo thoughts. 
Um, and there's like a, a weird feeling of like gravitational pull there that's really bizarre and there's like mold everywhere and like I don't know it was really bizarre time um in a bizarre place um but you know as as level-headed and midwestern as I feel like I am like I I kind of felt that kind of energy that was specific because because I would um especially the first year um I flew back and forth from here in Chicago to um to seattle like probably like six times in that one year yeah. and i would feel the difference like i would feel like when i was on the west coast i felt like i was kind of like on a boat or something i was feeling like the waves you know like rock the boat up and down and then when i was in chicago i, I felt like i was on land like i was on stable land yeah and i never felt like i was on stable land when i was um on the west coast there and i don't know why that is but something's going on, and science hasn't explained it. Mm-hmm. Um, but whatever it is, vaguely speaking, it explains like pretty much everything about like the West Coast temperament being completely different from everywhere east from there. Because um, I developed like a really sharp eye really quickly within like a few months of living there. I could tell within maybe like a minute of talking to someone if they're from the West Coast or if they're from anywhere else in America. Yeah. So literally it was like the West Coast and the rest of America. So it wasn't it wasn't even like um the West Coast, the South, the East Coast, the Midwest. It was literally like there are the there's the people on the West Coast and there's the people that are in America. Two different countries. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense, honestly. I mean, I, I didn't talk to a ton of people when I was in L.A., but I've definitely met Californians, you know, who come over here. And they are different. But you can't put a finger on it, can you? Hmm. Well, some of them did have kind of like a chilled out surfer sort of vibe. Right. That's SoCal. That's SoCal. But you go north different that's too. different yeah see i imagine there's a huge difference because yeah la just really does have but there's also similarities there's similarities thing. but there's yeah whereas in san francisco it's like san francisco and north yeah have you been to san francisco mm-hmm. yeah i heard that it has an eerie and haunted vibe um i was 12 when i went so i don't know if i had the spiritual sense that i did that i do now but um I do remember, I mean, the main thing I remember is just, like, the schizophrenic homeless people. Mm-hmm. That was, like, that's the most vivid memory is, like, there's the one guy who's, I guess, kind of famous. He, like, hides behind a branch and, like, scares tourists. Oh, yeah. Like, ah, got you. Like, that sort of thing. <laughs> and he's famous because he just, like, stays in the same spot and does it, you know, over the course of years, like, you become, nat- like, international c- celebrity. Yeah. Because you're just doing that thing on this, you know. You used to be allowed to get completely naked there and just walk around naked, but they recently um, got rid of that, or a couple years ago. You're not allowed yeah. to just wander around naked anymore. I do. When I was in college, I was really interested, because um, I was really into psychedelics back then, and you haven't done psychedelics. No. So you don't, you don't, you don't get it. You don't get the message. Yeah. You haven't gotten the message 
like Alan Watts says, like once you get the message, hang up the phone. What's the message? It's you have to like do it to get the message. Oh, okay. But like, it's literally like like I heard that that statement before I dropped acid, and then when I did acid, I was like, oh, okay, I know what that is. Okay. But does, what is the message? Okay, what is it like helping you do? Um. I don't know if that's the right question. It's oh, not really right. a helping. <laughs> it's more. It's more like. Um, I think like now I have a different perspective because, um, you know I'm I'm. Christian now, so that's a totally. It's I have a different perspective on that time, but what I would say it is is that. It's basically a cheat code to. Um, to a perception of of um, basically the spiritual aspect of the fallen world. Mm-hmm. So, like the, the 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 spiritual aspect of of the world that happened after the fall. And I remember when when I took um, the biggest dose. I took like three tabs. This was like twenty. This was like ten years ago of, of LSD. Yeah, and it was like really because back then, um, um, so LSD was was obviously big from the '60s up until 2001, mm-hmm. uh, when this guy who made pretty much all of it got arrested. He got caught. Yeah, and then after that, it like basically didn't really exist until 2013 when I started college. Huh? Someone started making it again. Yeah, I, I don't know what it was, but I remember like. Um, there was this particular type. It was called like SpongeBob acid because it was like yellow. The tabs were yellow, mm-hmm. and I heard even like Eric Andre talk about taking it, and I took that stuff too. It was like spread around, and like I heard people here take it, people on the East Coast take it, yeah, and obviously on the West Coast where I was, and it was literally like the cl- like cleanest, like pure LSD. Um, it was like the cartoon version of it, yeah. Like, it was, like, you know what I mean? It was, like, um, I don't even know how to explain it. But, um, <laughs> um, so there was kind of a renaissance of it back then. And um, I was going to make a point about the message. Was that what I was going to say? Yeah. It's basically, like, okay, so, yeah. Uh, so I, I I took it a few times, and then I decided I'm going to take a lot of it um, by myself and just be in the woods. Yeah. And it was kind of a rainy day it was like an overcast rainy day so there wasn't anyone outside so the entire day was like from 10 a.m until i went back to my dorm at like sun sunset like at yeah. six or seven so for like eight hours i'm literally like alone actually completely alone in what is possibly the most like biodiverse biome in america yeah (laughs) and it's right by the beach too oh so it was like the forest was like on the beach um and so like you're getting in touch with like the pacific ocean too and um when when i when i took it i was like i i had some sort of vision of like the the um the enti- my entire basically evolutionary history yeah from like the beginning of when evolution started and up until now like i had like just like as like an image as like a fixed like that's it right there 
Yeah. You know? And, um, and it was like, I didn't know what to do with it, obviously. Uh, <laughs> Cause my life was like messed up for years after that. Um, but now when I think like when I, when I read Valentin Tomberg, how he talks about how evolution, he believes in evolution, but he, he, he says that it actually started at a specific time. Mm-hmm. So like the process of evolution started with, the serpent at a during the fall at a specific time and so there's there's a history before evolution as well yeah um and that is what i could not perceive mm-hmm. on psychedelics and so that's 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 what i'm thinking where it's like psychedelics are getting you into a certain spiritual space but it's only a specific period of time and for that reason it does lead to communion with the wrong gods let's say or like the wrong spirits because you're seeing like all of reality but it's actually like reality that started at a certain point um and it's interesting to perceive that um but especially when you're a 19 year old kid and you're you know you're looking for like 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 what i was looking for was like some sort of um not like some sort of high and like a, but I was looking for like something kind of like the first time I smoked weed. Like I was like looking for yeah. something like that, which is very, very different. And, um, I don't know. It was, it was like way different than I expected. Um, and, but, but I came out of it fully convinced that I had like the answers to everything. And like, I knew what the message quote unquote the message was yeah that alan watts and and like timothy leary and all these people talked about but what did i do with that message i like completely like well i I fell into like other like weird just drug habits i fell into like like complete isolation um and i was just like so it's just kind of weird how it's like i on the one hand i was like fully convinced that I had the answers to everything. But on the other hand, like my action showed like pretty much like a, like a complete lack of virtue <laughs> in every way. Um, and it's kind of, yeah. So that, that's why I, I kind of think about like, there's a, there's, there's, it's completely like what I was telling outside, like the, um, um, you know the whole atheist idea that um you know why like 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 their criticism of christians is like why do you believe like there are thousands of gods that world like in world religions are like thousands of gods why do you only believe in one of them um but the answer to that is like you actually do believe in all of them but you only worship one of them right yeah um and you only bow down you're only obedient to one of them um because the other ones are very powerful and the Bible shows that and the history of world religion shows that there's like, there's so many things that are worshiped. Um, and we don't actually know, like, like no modern people could understand why people worship these spirits. They they just, they just can't compute. They just think it's like they were, they weren't educated. Like they say stupid stuff like that. They weren't like, um, they didn't know any better. Like they didn't have the good, like education that we have, but like, what do we know? (laughs) Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, if you're worshiping 
as most people in the secular world do like sort of the the passions and drives that possess you like that's what a lot of ancient people thought the gods were doing is they would take possession of you and make you feel a certain way there were vibes the gods were vibes yeah like you know if you suddenly felt jovial that was jove you know that was zeus acting on you if you felt anger that was mars you know if it was lust or love could be aphrodite right you know um so yeah people who are sort of like worshiping sort of this uh diversity of uh of different feelings and flavors and vibes that's kind of polytheism just not recognized as such yeah but but there was there was um and this is another reason why Tomberg's so influential to me because Tomberg talks about the serpent a lot and like the serpent being kind of a precursor to the brain because the brain is kind of like a coiled like snake into like a brain yeah. shape and um when when I was doing LSD a lot of my visuals were of like serpent like like you know what I mean like kind of like serpent like Mm -hmm. creatures in like various configurations and coils and that sort of thing um like the um what is it the ancient greek symbol that's still the medicine thing the caduceus yeah that's like the two snakes yes yes exactly and and there's a double helix exactly yeah and there's okay and there's um like tomberg talks about like like the fall was like the um the serpent is actually like the structure of the nervous system right and when you're on lsd there's like um you actually feel um like this um snake like spirit going from like your lowest chakra and like your sacrum yeah. to you know like your your like uh your like butt the, bone. Ku- the kundalini right like but it's literally like um so there's like your your tailbone and then there's yeah. like the part right here well that's where the kundalini is supposed really to be me. coiled up is in your lowest right and so you, you feel that and and um after after i um would like come down for like days i would feel like this energy like in my spine yeah and it's like the drug whatever the drug is gone mm-hmm. but it's like still there like there's yeah. still something very like it's almost like there's it was up in my head and then it's like it like sunk down and rest like almost like a puddle or something yeah at like the bottom of my my nervous system which is like the bottom of my spine like literally like the bottom of my nervous system was like a puddle of what happened yeah um there yeah you know one of the things that uh renee genon talks about in some of his writings is the idea that there's like a kind of mysticism which he doesn't see as being uh particularly like high or true mysticism but what it does is it leads to an enhanced awareness of like this level of reality like what you were talking about with like evolution but not being able to see beyond that to like the pre-fall world and he talks about he calls that like a horizontal mysticism and then there's like vertical mysticism which leads you up to the higher levels of reality that uh you can't access um using using purely uh earthly means you know i guess like the archetypal form of that is like muhammad's journey into heaven where he goes up he has like a is transported into heaven and goes through all the different seven spheres of heaven, you know, until he reaches God, which is what Dante does too in the divine comedy. 
One of the things I was wondering, though, or one of the things I was thinking about when you were talking about um, how you felt like there was like a puddle at the bottom of your nervous system out of the after these experiences was like Carl Jung. This is like a Jordan Peterson thing where he would he would say, I wish I could do the voice, but it was it's like beware of unearned wisdom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, I was wondering, yeah, if you felt like you were paying some sort of like psychic or or if your nervous system a psychic cost or if your nervous system was like paying a cost to sort of have those insights well it definitely like ruined my innocence in a lot of ways yeah um and at the time i thought again because i thought like i felt so wise after i felt um like i was seeing i was seeing everything and there were certain things that were again like these things aren't black and white it's not like nothing significant or nothing um related to nothing like truly spiritual happened Mm -hmm. um but there was there were like consequences definitely um and it wasn't just to blame on using psychedelics i mean it's it's more complicated than that but it was definitely like part of this whole like trajectory through my life um but one thing and this is this is like my related to my big theory about like the hippies and my problem with with hippies even though they don't exist anymore. We'll talk about that later. But <laughs> um, is that psychedelics completely like obliterate like your, your will and just like leave you just in a state of like feeling. And that's why yeah. like there was the, the clip I saw, re- I saw this clip on, on Twitter recently of um, these kind of hippies in San Francisco um, just kind of sitting in a park or something with their shirts off or whatever. And they're just kind of talking about, they're being interviewed for some reason and they're like justifying their existence in some way. I think I saw this. Actually. Yeah. And they're, they're talking, what are they talking about? Like the, the Not guy working and stuff. Yeah. They're, they're, they're talking about like, Oh, like my parents, like they're, they're always asking me like what I'm doing, you know, like, okay. Like the adults in my life are like, ask me what I'm doing. By the way, this is like probably 1967 or something. So these are, you know, young green, you know, fresh hippies. Um, you know the the this hippie guy's like um oh like my, my parents always have been like like what are you doing like what are you doing through life and 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 i'm just saying like i'm just i just am i'm just like feeling like he, he, he keeps using i forget exactly what he says but he keeps using like the feel word uh-huh and it's like it becomes all about like feelings and like what you feel and there's yeah. like no action like they're literally not doing anything and and um I see that really as a consequence of like these drugs. Like it's like a direct, like these drugs, LSD, marijuana, so on and so forth. They just weaken your will. Like they weaken your, your, um, they, 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 they shorten the distance between like a thought and an action because there's like all this stuff in between and the stuff in between is just like clutter. And it's just like, it's spiritual clutter or something. Yeah. Um, and, it makes like doing anything really difficult. Um, but on the other hand, I mean, the boomer generation did like do a lot, you know, like Steve jobs, like created Apple and so on. Yeah. So, so that's a, that's a counter argument on the other hand, but, um, but it is kind of weird. Well, it's not weird, but it is like, it is interesting. And I talked to a priest about this, you know, I was saying like, you know, I just realized that like, you know, this isn't me, but I, I just realized I've, I've just been influenced by this, this culture, this world that just f- like focuses on feelings more than will. Yeah. And, 
he he resonated with that a lot and he was saying like well a lot of like pretty much all all virtue is like doing and then feeling and he and he says that that's like an that's an aristotelian idea Mm -hmm. um like like if you take a virtue like courage this is the example he used you you don't feel courageous like you do courageous acts yeah that's what what courage is it's like it is like it's the 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 virtue of courage is is something of the will it's not something of feeling feeling is like an after effect at best yeah but it's not what the point of it is (laughs) yeah right yeah it seems kind of evil to like pursue pure feeling like that's sort of what um do you ever read uh the sorrows of young werther yeah that's like what that guy's doing he's trying to just like have intense feelings and have intense sensations right well that's kind of but is that kind of a romanticist thing or uh i guess it is i guess people say that you know yeah maybe it's kind of like the romanticists they were in the same way the hippies were rebelling against the industriousness of the post-war era yeah the the uh the the romanticists they were kind of rebelling against the industriousness of the industrial revolution yeah. in some way and yeah i think that's true well i think in their case i like i'm sympathetic with it because they were living in like the age of reason where any sort of like poetic or imaginative um insight or thought was like overly subjected to the scrutiny of reason so they yeah. kept basically criminalizing like any poet who had a uh different way of seeing things and they kept putting people in madhouses you know like accusing william blake of being mad right you know? i feel like we're almost in a similar time but 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 it's also like like you know that that famous romanticist painting of like the guy on the mountain looking over the yeah it's like that guy is not a hippie no he's yeah. like he's really well dressed he has like a cane or whatever yeah he's like he's like on a mission to like discover the world in some way yeah i don't you think know? it's really the same it's not the same as like being, you know, like an, an unwashed, dirty, sneaky hippie in like a park in San Francisco. Yeah. Um, smoking grass. And I don't know. It's it's like a totally different thing. And um there's really no I, I there's no comparison to the hippies. Like the boomer generation hippies is like as far as I'm concerned, like a like a once in a you know world like like it only happened once yeah. in that way um, because the romanticists, they were, I think, trying to balance feeling and will. And, you know, there is at least yeah. there's at least a vocabulary. There's like a vocabulary of like there's feeling and there's will. And there's like we have what do we do with this stuff? Yeah. Whereas the hippies, they're just rejecting will altogether or like losing their, their sense of what it is. Yeah, well, people tried to criticize the romantics at the time. Or you would hear, like, Richard Dawkins um, today criticizing John Keats because Keats said that Newton unweaved the rainbow by turning it into, um, like, a, a prism, like light shining through a prism, like reducing it to its scientific exploration, uh, explanation, I mean. And I think and Dawkins was like, that's, like, anti-science. That's being afraid of science to say to fear that like um the materialist explanation of the rainbow but i think keats's point really isn't about that it's about um like the fear of scientific reductionism where you're saying all that a rainbow is is like an effect 
generated by this like light going at a specific angle through this thing and it's just like purely mathematical but like what keats was afraid of losing is like what the rainbow is communicating to us at like a symbolic level yeah and like losing all that and i think the the romantics were trying to keep that alive in the face of the enlightenment and you know the like deism and the atheism that went along with the enlightenment they were trying to like preserve the sense that nature i mean the romantics in rebelling against that pure rationality they were trying to preserve the sense of nature as like a divine language that had things to communicate to human beings you know mm-hmm. and i think that some of the hippies at least were trying to get back to that idea but i think that they were hobbled to a great extent by the the reliance on on drugs and timothy leary and all these things but they're also just like they're doing a petty rebellion against their parents which you know it never ends well it never ends well to, to break that commandment of like honoring your father and your yeah, mother yeah exactly it's 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 there's nothing good that happens from from that but wasn't there isn't there a part though where jesus says that you have to like abandon your family and your father and your mother to follow him yeah but it's sort that's of like more, contradicting the uh that's i mean that's just because the first commandment is you need to love you know god was that yeah. the first commandment like like love god yeah more than anyone else so it's it's different i mean like it's i mean i don't know what the translation is i don't know exactly how he said it if he said like you need to or like what the context was but obviously the meaning is not that you don't honor your 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 lineage it's just that you have to like you have to um yeah you have to choose god like if, if things come to a certain place like you choose god over your your mom obviously or yeah dad. i mean that goes without saying that seems seems kind of obvious so i again i'm not really interested in like the way that jesus said it or the way it's translated because I, I, you know what i mean like yeah it's 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 very clear what he's trying to say he's trying to point to the significance of the first commandment and there's there's the other um encounter jesus has with with the with um is it the tax collector or something who's mm-hmm. saying like um like how like like what like what could i do like what you know he's just yeah. saying vaguely um and i don't know if that's the one where he says like sell everything you have but there's one where he says yeah. like that's not um, a, i don't think that guy's a tax collector but he does there is that young man who's like, what should I do? And Jesus says, sell everything that you have. And well, okay, guy... well, maybe it's not that one. There, there's another one There's another one where he says, um, you know, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. You know, he says, like, that's the, ma- that's, that's the most important thing, right? That's, like, the one thing. All things are, are, are under that. It's like, it's like a hierarchy, right? So you have – when you have a hierarchy, it's not – rejecting the lower parts of the hierarchy as insignificant or mm-hmm. or or bad it's just like knowing what the hierarchy is you know yeah um the king is better than the servants that doesn't mean the, the servants the servants are still serving the king though <laughs> yeah right yeah i mean i think that there's like today when people rebel against their parents or whatever it's like a lot more I don't know. There frequently doesn't seem to be a very compelling reason to be that much in rebellion or whatever, or it just seems like a performative gesture. But I guess in the sixties, you did have this whole other complicating issue of the Vietnam war, you know, where you had the elders were kind of like sending people to die for yeah, that's true, bad yeah. reasons. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's totally true. Um, 
and I mean, there, there's a reason why that generation was so unified. Yeah. And, and that led to, um, like a truly a thriving culture. And, and that's all great, but it's like, we're in a different time now and it kind of bothers me. It bothers me a lot that we're still not just that we're living under all of the cultural assumptions of the boomer generation, but we don't actually recognize it. And we don't like, we're not able to, 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 to recognize it as like a remnant from that generation mm-hmm. because that that's what it's dangerous. Like if, if, if I'm obsessed with my own feelings, which I am, I know I'm obsessed with the way I feel. Yeah. Um, if I'm like making, if I'm, um, if I'm not recognizing the historical, the very recent historical, um, cultural assumptions that led to the education from my parents and from my culture that I grew up in that led me to be the certain way, then then I'm kind of like lacking in a sort of freedom from that. Yeah. Um and so that that's what bothers me is like so much of what we're living in right now is is um is so new historically but it's also like decaying so quickly yeah yeah i feel like the boomer ethos of like following your heart following your bliss something to be said for that but i think the problem with it is like um you know kanye i remember him saying once that you should follow your heart instead of your head every time and it's like well your head your thoughts frequently will be wrong but your feelings also aren't that great maybe they're like a slightly better guide than your thoughts but like i feel like the true thing has to be neither thoughts nor feelings well but the true conscience the true source of i don't guidance. i don't think you just assume that following your heart is the same thing as following your feelings i don't think i agree with that oh maybe you're just it's just a semantic difference but like no i see what you mean it could be yeah like a gut like gut feelings like intuition that's different from like feel like feelings to me is 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 like um very like obvious emotion or like certain kind of vertical feelings of high and low yeah uh without any kind of nuance or distinction and it's 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 the focus on the feelings is what makes people obsessed with drugs and neurochemicals and neurology. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people talking about, you know, dopamine all the time. It's serotonin and shit like that. Yeah. You know? Um, well, this is why I like the Gurdjieff comment about how um, it's like a man has his cup, cup of coffee in the morning and feels like he can love everyone. Um, but if he does not have his cup of coffee in the morning, he's unable to love humanity yeah. and he's like how can this be called christianity like true christianity has to go beyond just like the fluctuations right. of body chemistry well that's why you you will it like you have to like will it into yeah and that's that's the that's the amazing thing about being human is that like you could actually choose to be um just generous mm-hmm. even if you feel like horrible <laughs> yeah because there's not, there's literally nothing stopping you. There's nothing stopping you from doing good deeds. Yeah. <laughs> no matter how you feel. 
it's kind of mind blowing to think about. Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting to think about how so many of the saints seem like they were, you know, I hate thinking about this personally because, uh, but like with mother Teresa, she had this like period of like darkness where she felt like God's presence wasn't there in her her life life, pretty much. Yeah. And it lasted forever. Like just this feeling of, uh, spiritual dryness, right. Right. Where instead of feeling these like intense emotions during prayer, you feel like nothing, you know? And it feels like that happens a lot with the saints as like a way of sort of testing them and, you know, and it's just, but it's also sort of like bleak to think about that, but. Well, it's, it's just, all that is, it's just like a test of fidelity. Like there's, yeah. Um, so we both read, I, I just, I read Tonio Kroger recently and you've oh, read yeah. it before. I think we were talking about that a little yeah, bit ago, but, I, yeah. um, but there's a part, I mean, I, I wish I remember exactly I don't remember it that well, but I just remember it's about a writer who wished that he was part of the bourgeoisie. No, he just, he's like, he's just like a, he's like an incel sort of, not an incel, but he's kind of an incel. He's kind he's kind of like um, an artist type who kind of wishes he was like a, yeah. a blonde bimbo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like a normie, you know. Um, uh, I'm not going to quote the part that he, he said, he said, right. But he was basically talking about fidelity. Like he was, he had, he had a crush on, on this boy and then on this girl when he was a teenager who were both and, kind of blonde bimbo types yeah they were right? like kind a bimbo of bimbo and a himbo they yeah they weren't really that smart but they were also like they were like they were like popular kids that were nice yeah <laughs> <laughs> which is like most popular kids are nice you I know what i mean because they're right? like yeah. they're good looking and they they don't really have much going on in their head <laughs> yeah they don't have by by that i mean they don't have much like you know internal like like um derision or something yeah they're not um, like torturing themselves with their thoughts they're yeah. just kind of yeah they're just vibing yeah um um there's a part where he's talking yeah he's talking about fidelity and and he has this thing where he says like you know the candle went out and so it, it was kind of man I'm, I'm, again I'm, not, I'm totally butchering this but what i wrote in the margins was like the candle when the candle goes out i think the candle is referencing like whatever love he had for these these two people um when the candle goes out that's actually the test of fidelity yeah is when the can it's like you don't if if the candle's still lit and you're faithful to it that's that's not a test of fidelity like the fidelity needs to be tested and that's that's basically what goes on with the saints with spiritual dryness um yes yeah. is, is like what what's gonna happen like like god's gonna let go for a second are you still gonna be faithful because faithfulness only exists in like the letting go yeah, and like the so-called abandonment or the whatever. Um, and in the screw tape letters, um, there's, he has a whole chapter on, on this. Yeah. And he basically says, it's like, it's basically like, um, God is like teaching. It's like, it's like, like God, like, um, temporarily abandoning seemingly, someone in a state of spiritual dryness after usually like a conversion experience or like yeah. um, a peak of 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 consolation or divine whatever yeah. insight um it's like a father or mother like teaching their child to walk it's like at first they're gonna hold their hand and like be there but eventually like they have to like let go and like l- let the child walk 
yeah. on their own and like see how that works, you know, because if if the child keeps like grabbing onto their parent's arm, then they're not going to learn how to walk. <laughs> yeah. And so they have to learn how to walk on their own. And and a lot of that is like remembering whatever vague things happen that like led you to a certain point um, of like some sort of faithfulness, some sort of faith yeah or some sort of hope or whatever um and grabbing onto that because like the alternative is um influenced by as many aspects of faith but just in like an opposite and malevolent direction or something yeah yeah i mean i guess i see i see the necessity of it but I don't know. I feel like decades of spiritual dryness, maybe more just like a couple months would do it, you know? Hopefully. Well, but but <laughs> but what are you what are you supposed to do then? Like like okay, like if your mother Teresa just just do what those hippies months... in the park were doing, just bliss <laughs> out. No, I know, I agree. With what no, I, I listen, like I, I'm I get it. I get it yeah. both ways. I get it both ways. Yeah. And um, I don't make any theological statements. You know that, right? Yeah. I've never, I've never, I've <laughs> I don't never know if that's had, entirely true, but I'll agree. I've never had I'll a theological hot take or, or, or a dogma that I've like spread. I, all I, all I have is like things I've read about and things that have like kind of vaguely happened to me. Yeah. That's basically all I have. Um, but I've – another thing I have is just, like, I've, I've like, seen all the alternatives. Like, I've been a Reddit atheist. I've been a Satanist, literally. I've been, like, a psychedelic Eastern – How much of a Satanist were you really? Weren't you, like, 14 years old? <laughs> but you, but you, I was – yeah, I was dabbling. I was, like, interested in – Were you seduced by the veganism of some of the Satan, Satanists at that time? Well, I was also, like, getting into It was a vegan to Satanist pipeline? Oh, I haven't told you this yet, but I started eating meat. I, oh, yeah. No, I uh, – you didn't tell me, but you said it in the group chat. Yeah. I mean – You had weird dreams. I'm eating some meats now. Yeah, I had – um, I um, I uh, ate meat, and uh, I uh, I fell asleep, and then I had, like, really weird dreams about my father. Yeah. Where I like, um, he like came to me as like some sort of ancient tree. Yeah. Who like, um, touched my shoulder <laughs> with his branch. That sounds cool. It was weird. But, it was like yeah. a positive dream. It was, um, it was actually like the night I watched After Sun too, which was, oh, weird. okay. Yeah. Because that's like a father, father, daughter. I'm not, I'm not a girl, but like a father, daughter movie. But my dad and the dad in that movie are like completely different because in that movie he's like a young dad, um, and my dad was very old. Yeah. And so that kind of makes sense that like my dad in the dream, um, was like a like an ent from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> um, how, how old was your dad when you were born? Fifty. Fifty. Okay, so my dad was like thirty-eight when I was born. Oh, but when my sister was born, he would have been like forty-eight. So, oh yeah, you're kind of similar to you. Yeah, that's um, yeah, and I guess my, I mean I, I'm also the youngest, so like my my dad was, um, I guess 44 when my oldest brother was born, 
and um yeah he would have been his birthday was a few days ago he would have been 78 i was uh expressing to you earlier my uh theory that like the reason the british uh, I think historically are better at being in bands, whereas in America you have a lot of lone wolves, you know, the Bob Dylans, the Princes. Um, in in Britain, you know, you've got all the great bands, the Beatles, the Who, the Stones, all the classic rock, the Zeppelin, all the great cr- classic rock bands. I was wondering if the fact that they're oriented more towards soccer, like a pure team sport where you have to be self-sacrificing for the good of the whole. Um has something to do with it because uh american uh you know baseball is the american sport and you can kind of concentrate completely on your own statistics and it'll work out well for the team too yeah i think you're on to something yeah how do you feel about being in a band so so you have to so for those who are listening sam and i are in a band together yeah and uh sam plays the bass true and i play the guitar and vocals and stuff yeah you're kind of a multi-instrumentalist i guess yeah and um we've been playing for a little over a year and we just started playing a couple shows yeah what do you feel how do you feel about playing shows uh after you know I always feel apprehensive about it, but then when like the day comes, I get excited, and then I definitely feel like high after, not uh, high on life, you know, after the yeah, course, the show. I do feel like we kind of, I don't know how you feel about this. Do you think it would be better to like be playing a show every two weeks or something and feel like we have this momentum that like keeps getting? I mean, sometimes it's hard to find shows too. I don't think I don't. Th- think that's good or necessary for whatever we're doing to every two weeks i mean i would say like i think like four to six shows a year is plenty but are we ever going to become like are we going to get to tour with our own tour bus if we don't play to a show every two weeks um with like wallpaper window on the side of the tour bus i don't want to be private jet famous but i want to be tour bus famous I, I, I mean, I don't know. I feel like like right now what our band is, is is kind of like, you know, we play a show and then we like invite our friends and like 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 ten percent of them come and <laughs> Yeah. And so that's kind of where we're at right now. Like we don't really have like an audience really. Um, which is fine. I kind of I am kind of enjoying them, I'm kind of enjoying just like Yeah. 'Cause 'cause like this is the first time I'm even like performing, you know, I've just been like making music on my own at home and kind of doing the whole record recording artist thing. Um, but like playing shows is like a totally different thing. Cause it just, it's, I don't know. It's kind of weird. Like being in a band and like playing at a bar and if yeah. there's something kind of antiquated, there's something very antiquated about it in a way. But when you see like a poster for like Lollapalooza and you look at all the names of bands you've never heard of on there, do you, don't you think like we could be in that section of the poster yeah like the like, small print yeah the small print you've never heard of us but we're at Lollapalooza you know yeah. we're at at the like um yeah Coachella or whatever I don't know where they even have bands anymore probably those places don't have bands they just have 
pop musicians and Doja Cat. Rappers. and Yeah, Dua Lipa. Rap- rapists. Yeah, that sort of pop EDM rap world. Is EDM even like a thing anymore? I don't know. Well, isn't it all kind of like pop, rap, and EDM are one thing? It's like there's one genre of music, and that's the vast majority of everything. But it's kind of like it's kind of like a weird. It's just like a mix of all these things. Yeah, it's not really like EDM is kind of again. It's kind of like a remnant of of an earlier age of of like pop music having like a really bright quality that doesn't really exist anymore. Like. Mm-hmm. In the past 10 years, pop music has gotten really dark. Yeah. It's gotten, like, slower. It's gotten more minor key. It's gotten more, like, just, like, tonally speaking, it just has, like, a darker quality. Whereas 10 years ago, like, a lot of pop music was very, um, it was very bright and life-affirming or or something like that. Um, And... I don't know if that's worth necessarily being nostalgic about, but it is, like, interesting... Yeah, at, at the very least, that like music is just kind of grim now, sort of. Yeah. Do you think that we should be doing more like um, you as the front man, particularly, should be doing more like flamboyant Axl Rose Bono type behaviors? Um, I mean, not that those guys act similarly, but I'm saying that's kind of the spectrum from like the depravity of Axl Rose to the like the like curing aids sort of bono thing you know well i am to gonna like, cure aids yeah that's what i'm saying that's the, that's the mission of wallpaper window our band is to cure aids i think you you're like you're <laughs> like bono you know you could kind of have that like giving interviews where you express a bunch of like opinions that are memorable or controversial or something you know yeah. like in the local chicago music press I could I could get like a Jim Daly yeah. hit piece on Chicago Reader or something like. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we as a band should start like starting shit, but I don't even know who to start shit with. I you don't. Know? I don't know why you're where you're getting it from because our music is so easygoing. But that's what would be funny about it is like <laughs> if off stage we were like totally like uh, arrogant and aggressive, you know, like people were in the nineties. Where, like, Tom yeah. York would just be like, they'd be like, Mr. York, what do you think about the Spice Girls? And he'd be like, they're pornography. Right. I, I get what you're saying. I mean, there's there's a romance to what you're yeah. talking about. But unfortunately, the fact that this this mythos of the rock band has become ossified, therefore, to recreate it is just like reviving a fossil. And there's, like, a lot of self-awareness in it that could just be, like, kind of silly. I guess. Well, you know what I mean? Unless well, you're like, like I, I feel like if you're if you're trying to do a bit as like a band, like like you got to think of like like what's like a new type of bit. Or I'm like, just saying that we should be confident and enthusiastic, you know, and we should like we should believe in it more. Yeah, but you're talking about like being in review, like you have like this idea of being in review. Like this, is I fantasize I like, about this stuff all the time. No, I do too. No, I no, have fantasies. We all do. We're like do. I my like books suddenly get like more. Um, uh notability and then i get like invited back to my alma mater for like uh <laughs> like a discussion on stage and then there's like a q a and then people start like <laughs> accusing the book of all these different transgressions like they're they accuse it of being you know sexist or whatever i don't know and random things and then i like get like a heated back and forth right. with the audience where i like don't back down and i'm like extremely confrontational 
Well, yeah, okay, well, that that's the thing. Okay, so that that is the malady of of being any sort of, like, artist, musician, writer, whatever in this modern day is that, like, we grew up on, like, Wikipedia articles. Yeah. Where we're, like, we, we like, the Wikipedia way of, like, of, um, of, uh, you know, by, you know, biographies of, of notable people is yeah. that it has, like, a very specific... And it's, it's it's something you like you can't really explain, but you just kind of know like what the Wikipedia kind of version of people is, yeah. and it's always like flattering in a very specific way yeah. that like you can't really explain. But that's something we kind of, and also like you know we all, um, you know, I grew up just like watching interviews with you know my favorite musicians and stuff like that, and like there's 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 a romance to like being interviewed, but for them it was probably just like really boring <laughs> and like yeah. kind of annoying maybe like it was just like another thing they had to do based on their contract the record contract is like do yeah. some interviews with mtv or whatever well some people approach it with real zeal like kanye still does but in a way that uh is perhaps not the hell <laughs> i don't want to even hedge it by saying perhaps not the healthiest that is like not the healthiest i mean when you're endorsing adolf hitler and screaming yeah. about jews but I don't think t- Tom York, like, yeah. I don't think Tom York is like proud of his OK Computer era where he was like completely bitter and well, mad. I wouldn't about be everything. like him though. I would be more like the guys from Oasis or something. You know, that's my natural. You know, yeah. or like, like I would want to like the way Kanye was like, we're the new rock stars. I would want to be. He was like talking about rappers are the new rock stars. I would like to turn that around. And right now on the Bunce cast, I'm gonna say that we're the new rap stars. <laughs> our indie rock band wallpaper window <laughs> well what do you mean by that? like what do you mean we're the new it's rock? coming back rock music's not dead <laughs> we have we have a all, all that rock music is is what you can do with like a couple of guitars and a bass and some drums how can that ever go away or be fully moribund or die it's just a set of instruments you could do anything with it yeah yeah and um, they've they've had the same trap beat um for like the last 10 years that's just like the like symbols the hi-hat where you just you know i use beats i make beats on my uh logic thing you just fill in all the hi-hats yeah so do some triple yeah just yeah yeah so i'm saying like that's been the crutch of the music industry for 10 years it's just resting on filling in all those symbols and what I want to say is that we, we in our band are a fertile um, resource. We're 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 part of the quiverful movement. Well, I'll I'll counter you. And, and our I, sons are our children. Our songs are our children. I I, I Sam, I appreciate your um your yeah. zeal for the the uh, the flippant rock star life. But I I think if we're gonna bring back anything about rock music, it's about being an utterly depressed um nihilistic just bummer of a band <laughs> they say that's the problem though with white people i mean i don't mean to bind all this discourse about whiteness but that's been the uh the discourse for a long time is that indie rock is just a bunch of sad white boys talking about their and it's like yeah i write sad songs don't get me wrong my own songs are full of melancholy but does that define my stage presence or my, the zeal that I bring to my work? 
No, the point, no. The point is that like you're making music and it sounds great, but like your attitude is that this sucks and I hate my life. Like that's, oh, okay. that's the beauty and the romance of it is that is it, that you're just like a bummer. It's like the, when like it, you're just depressed and like a bummer all the time. In Japan, I heard that one of the things they say when uh, they're serving you a fine meal, a fine meal, is they say, here's something to dirty your mouth with. Meaning like it's not much. It's not very good, but it's all humble. It's like a, it's, it, you it's, think it, do you think it's, it's false like, humility. You think it's false humility to yeah. like be a depressed rock band? Yeah, I think that we should be honest about how great our band is. You know, right? But I mean, that, we're just generating riffs and timeless melodies. But I'm trying. I'm my my mission is to to humble humble the artist. Well, you can do that in your in in the band. I will. <laughs> I will be the self aggrandizing side. Okay, yeah, I, I, I could, I could appreciate that. Um, I do, I do. I'm always just, again, I'm like skeptical <clears throat> about any sort of manias applied to these things because it, it's just always struck down, and it's always, um, yeah, it's always, uh, like, uh, yeah, I, I believe, like, like what, like, um, like every time I finish an album, I'm always like so depressed after, and like I'm starting to relish that that feeling of depression, that feeling of like disappointment and and uh and um and uh like pointlessness of all of this you know there's 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 something significant going on there too you got to take a lesson out of the donald trump playbook um when mr trump was president um he had a he was addressing the boy scout jamboree the one year yeah and he was talking to all these boy scouts and uh he started it's a really weird video. Um, and he started telling the Boy Scouts about um, this Robert Levitt who developed like Levitowns. He like invented the like prefabricated suburbs. You know, Trump's a real estate developer. So this guy also was. And Trump was like, um, uh, he was like, Robert Levitt had a very interesting life going around the world in this yacht. He was like, I'm not going to tell you what he did on his yacht, but you're Boy Scouts and you know life. You know life. And he was hinting, he says all this, and he's like, he's going out of the Boy Scouts, and he's like, he had a very interesting life. You can, <laughs> I guess he was doing, you know, crazy parties on these yachts with a lot of sexual behavior. And So you're saying I should corrupt the Boy Scouts? Well, what Trump, well, the greater lesson that Trump says, he spent so much time going around on his yacht having these sexual misadventures in various beautiful locales around the world that he lost his momentum and he never went back to like building america and building these suburbs and so that was his message to the boy scouts was don't lose your momentum so don't give in to the post album depression you know keep riding the dragon ride the tiger ride the snake the serpent you were referencing earlier the energy you know so i mean you're because i'll just it'll just keep going and expanding and what you're doing you're 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 self-aware of like the luciferian aspects of rock music and you just want to embrace it yeah well you know like you're you're as we covered earlier at the beginning of this conversation from the nation of france um and Victor Hugo and Balzac. I'm, I'm not from France. <laughs> I know, I'm, but I'm, I'm, I'm strictly American of French descent. Well, thanks for setting the record straight. But your countrymen, um, Victor Hugo, and Honor de Balzac. I know the audience can uh, 
can laugh at the last name if they they wish to do so but um he's a great balzac yeah pausing pausing for the the reaction but they both were like these insane creative you know balzac wrote like a hundred books or something or more than that really you know the human yes the human comedy because he would sit around drinking like 40 cups of coffee a day and he would just work and work and work yeah and he would lose himself in his work he would drink cups of coffee he would drink whole like pots that were of the consistency of mud and similarly, Victor Hugo was like, I don't know, I think he, I don't know what his relationship with coffee was, but he was like similar to like John F. Kennedy or Martin Luther King Jr. He was like uh, big with the ladies because he was so full of life and energy. And the whorehouses of Paris went into mourning when um, Victor Hugo died. They all, all mourned. <laughs> and, and so all these people were these monsters of energy you know and uh but you gotta just yeah you gotta ride the dragon i'm not saying that we should behave that way because i think we should stick with our christian principles so i'm not suggesting that we patronize the whorehouses of paris we're a monogamous band you know yeah and and uh but i'm saying that like the same sort of zest you know the lust for life you're saying is, we, need is to, we, praiseworthy. Need to, we need to baptize the Luciferian theatrical instinct of rock music. Yeah, because we're living in an era that really isn't that Luciferian. Like, you look at um, Sam Smith uh, and Lil Nas X, it's like the tired, most tired, bored version of that. Um, but the, the age we're really living in is about, like, tech giants and Mark Zuckerberg like controlling your brain it's it's not the luciferian like rising upwards it's like the the authoritarian pressure like coming down and like clamping down on the wor- world and trying to turn us all into little yeah. digits trapped inside a circuit board you know but if we really want to bust out of that you know well yeah that's kind of like like a lot of people in like the turn of the century and the 19th century there were they were kind of messing with this kind of occult revival yeah sort of thing and there was a lot of crossover with with um with kind of revivals of catholicism as well yeah and um isn't there like a Huseman book um i heard someone reference it i haven't read it but like he like in the book like the character goes to some sort of satanic like black mass or something yeah, like Le that yeah yeah, and, and like um the character is actually like underwhelmed. He thinks it's just like not it's not satanic enough These or something. These are just corny losers. Yeah, something like that. Which is still true. Yeah, I mean that's kind of what I mean that's kind of what a lot of it is. Like the whole Church of Satan thing, like the Levain Satanism thing is 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 like I've said this before, I mean that it's the reason that I was drawn to it as a fourteen year old is that it's so adolescent. Yeah. It's so like, um, you know, they have <clears throat> They still have on their website. I looked recently. They have the same like youth communique, 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 where it's like, it's like the perfect letter for like a sinister, um, a grown up to write to like an edgy fourteen year old boy, yeah, about like how he needs to like rebel and like find his own individuality or whatever, and it's very you know compelling when you're that age. Especially since the website is like has a black background yeah. and like red text, and so it's like 
in 2008 internet was like super compelling to look at <laughs> yeah um but um i don't know i i'm 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 kind of more as far as like rock music goes or or music of that type i'm kind of more in like the Sigur ross kind of area right now yeah where Sigur ross you know they're like an icelandic kind of droney post-rock band of some kind um and they did like a lot of different things but their second album that came out in 1990 it's like i forget what it's called it's called like an all right start is the english translation but there's nothing manic about it it has just like this almost eternal vibe to it and that that to me is way more interesting because it came out in an era of of very angry like new metal and stuff like that yeah um and uh and you have like this band that's just like what they do and is is um well like I, the, the way the band is structured is that um they write their songs together and they just play like they don't like talk yeah like while they're while they're playing they, they don't really like like intellectualize or or talk about what they're doing they just play that makes sense and it becomes almost like the silent it becomes like almost like a form of silence in a way yeah but it has like these big highs and there's there's they're obviously a band so they have a drummer and they have a guitar and like bass and that sort of thing um but it's always pointing towards like not some sort of luciferian kind of will to power but almost um i don't know, like just like a bigger expression of some sort of longing or something like that yeah. i find that way more compelling because it, it becomes like it doesn't become about like any ego or anything like that i don't know i want to write a song like... and also they're they're horrible at interviewing too which is great well was that intentional though because i saw that interview where they the interview the like, NPR so, one. <laughs> yeah so how, how do you what's your songwriting process like or and they're just like oh we just uh get together and we uh write the songs uh, it's just like yeah or it's even more low-key than that honestly. no no they're like they're like mad i don't know why they're so pissed off in this interview why they're so like being dicks but yeah, like it's it's it is weird <laughs> yeah, and the interviewer was yeah was so um off put by it um <laughs> and he's like you you do guys do like a made-up language and then you don't see the singer was like it's all fucking bullshit <laughs> he just yeah. says that um but yeah the whole that that whole kind of thing is way more compelling to me right now than this kind of lucid kind of um you know in your face kind of rock kind of sound yeah, i kind of i kind of prefer that, that sound been for forever i want to i want to write a song that will be sung by school children by grandmas by everyone like hey jude you know i want i want that i want to write hey jude yeah Oh, I want to write "Hey Jude." Are <laughs> um, people were people not hearing me ranting about how much I want to write "Hey Jude"? No, no, it's just it was just your your mic was angled for a second. Yeah, I was I turning it weird. Uh, it's fine. But uh, um, or like yeah, or like one by you too. You know, I want to write like the million dollar, you know, a million dollar pop song, and then move to like a L.A. mansion and retreat into my idiosyncrasies and stop cutting my toenails yeah i i just feel like we need to we need to just go deeper we need to go deeper than that's what whatever's been done up until now um 
I I completely reject all of your nostalgic. Well, we haven't done this in a while, therefore we should bring it back. Well, I just, just no, it's just because I like it. Yeah, I like monster, mega pop, you know, like massive rock hits. (laughs) I like Stairway to Heaven, you know. I like um, With or Without You. I like Born to Run by Springsteen. I like massive arena rock just conquering you have to understand that that those songs they they didn't like sweet child of mine they they didn't come out of like a void of will to power like they like wanted to do like oh really rock song no they wanted they they, it was just part it just happened it was just like part of the ambiance of the times and it's a time and therefore it can't be replicated like you can't like reverse engineer arena rock isn't anymore. but it, aren't the times just defined by the like towering godlike geniuses who storm onto the stage and remake the world in their own image like the prophet muhammad or jesus christ or buddha or any of these figures okay how how come there hasn't been another axel rose like can you explain that there hasn't been anyone that's remotely close to someone like axel rose and Guns N' Roses wasn't that long ago. Um, I think it's because, like, everyone's becoming a coomer now because of, like, internet porn. And I think people's, like, energy is getting sapped away from them. And so everyone is just becoming more, like... I don't like, think it's just I don't think it's just porn. It's more than that. I know. I'm just using that as one example. But it's a general war on the life force, you know? It's the anti-vitalistic tendency of our times, which is to, to sap your energy. You know, it's it's because Axl Rose didn't have a little freaking smartphone screen glowing all the time, stopping him from writing his uh, deathless th- classics. I, th- I think that the, the, the common denominator with all of our beloved manic um, Luciferian rock stars is that they all like probably had lead poisoning from their childhood. <laughs> Uh, from like so lead gas, you can't you can't keep explaining it by the external causes. It comes from within. It's accessing a hidden reservoir of energy. Okay, you know? but if that In were the psyche, true, you gotta bust that open. If that were true, if 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 there's like this internal reserve that, like, according to you, is 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 latent within all of us, not all with us, but within like at least like a certain sort of artist, a certain type of like ambitious artist then that yeah. doesn't explain why like there's nothing remotely close that's even being attempted like there's not even any failures well of, you of can't what you're take your anymore. cues and your signals from the what's going on out there you know you have to like access like you know i mean y- y- you you're a talk, catholic you believe you in talk, the holy spirit right you, talk about, you have well, to court the holy spirit that's like the muse yeah but when you court the holy spirit you're not gonna end up like axel rose you're, you're gonna end up. Bono kind of is that though. Um, he's like the transmutation of the Luciferian Axl Rose type rock star into like a Christian rock star. Yeah, but he's one of a kind, isn't he? Well, they're all one of a kind in their own unique ways, but they're also like an archetype. The but archetype. You still haven't of, answered my question about how come no one's even attempted. In the past 20 years, maybe 10, 10, 15 years, to do anything like this arena rock vision you have. Well, we could be the ones to do it, though. We could be we, everyone. Again, you're, it, va- you're it just the makes question. it more dramatic. It just makes it more dramatic to have all the odds stacked against you. And like to have it be like, no one has attempted this in forever. It's like the part in the movie where like the guy is like, I'm going to build a, you know, yeah. bring an opera house to the Amazon or whatever, or do whatever crazy yeah. thing you want to do. Or be like, 
I'm going to conquer um, well, Alexander okay. the Great. I'm going to conquer the world. People are like, that's not been done. No one's ever conquered the world, you know? You, if you, you got to okay. just put all your will behind it. You got to concentrate it, you know, at the smallest Okay, so 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 recently, I mean, point, the, just... the, the one, one of the bands I grew up with was Muse, right? Yeah. And they were the last, maybe not the last, I would say they're probably the last arena rock band. Unless you include, like, Imagine Dragons. Imagine Dragons probably the closest. Or, like, Coldplay, as, you know? I but Coldplay mean, and Muse are around the same time. It's the same sort of thing. Yeah, it's yeah. the same, same like, post-Radiohead kind of era. But I saw this clip of them in 2006. They played this big show at Wembley Studio. Yeah. And it's just the three of them. And I think they have someone in the back, but it's basically just three of them. And they're playing these big arena rock songs. And they're playing that song, Hysteria, which is, like, a great, like, crazy, manic rock song. Um, and there's, like, some shots of people, like, like everyone in the audience is, like, screaming the chorus. Yeah. And there's, like, some shots of, like, some kids, like, spazzing out and that sort of thing. And I was watching this. I was like, that is all external. Like, that is not, like, this is just happening. It's not, like you can't recreate this you can't reverse engineer it like it's not going to happen again no we can bring the gods back you just have to journey to the okay through the snow and the ice to i think i think we're going in circles a little bit but (laughs) we'll have to agree to disagree a little bit on this i guess so um i think this was good content though people want to hear arguments (laughs) they want to hear bands fighting on the inside but i'm not saying that i would ask wallpaper window to become this arena rock band but i'm saying that in my own personal life i don't know if i would be this but i would i would be the john the baptist to it you know i would be i would (laughs) foretell its return well i i i'm not seeing it yet if it comes then i'm welcoming it with open arms but I feel like right now we need something else. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm, and I'm seeing like within myself and also like within the world, like what, like what does it mean to like make music? Because it, it, it's clearly like like one thing's for sure is that, um, music doesn't have the role that it used to in yeah. in the world and in people's lives, um, and I don't I don't know if it's like. It, it, I don't. Yeah, it's just it's just a weird kind of thing. I don't really know how to well, what to do with music. At any rate, I feel like what you could do with music. I mean, you're in this religious direction. I feel like leaning into that makes a lot of sense. Um, like in Pakistan or in India, you have like these Sufi musicians. Uh, it's the genre is called Kawali. Nusrat Fatah Ali Khan was like the main, the Elvis of Kawali, like the biggest most popular singer who like he ended up working with like jeff buckley and um peter gabriel i think and people like that and you know one of the goals of koali is the to induce this like trance in people called wajd it means like forgetting it means you forget where you are and what you're and you like lose yourself in the ecstasy of this like spiritual music and the the koali the koali singers apparently sometimes with some of them anyway, they won't stop playing until they feel like they've reached this state themselves. Cause it's supposed to be induced in you, the performer, as well as in the audience. I feel like that's something we could aim for. You know, we want to yeah. cast a spell. We want to like, you know, be a conduit to something mm-hmm. to other worlds. 
But I don't feel like your arena rock vision is pointing to other worlds. Okay, well... I, I do agree. I feel like music, music, if it's going to do anything now, it should point to, to, to something stranger. Like, I feel like something stranger needs to happen mm-hmm. than just mere good pop tunes. Yeah. I feel like good, like good, clean, bright pop tunes are out. Um, and I thought they were in for a minute, like yeah. the, the past year, like when I was doing apiary, like that's what I was trying to do. But then when I finished it, I was like, I don't know if this was the right choice. It didn't really make sense after the fact. Cause I was like, when I was recording it, I was, um, basically like dealing with this like massive delusion of grandeur. Yeah. And so I'm kind of like, I'm a little... Um, oh, salty or something about, about about like thinking that a delusion of grandeur leads to this specific result in some way. Well, you got to give it time. I mean, Apiary just came out, and you don't have like a record company promoting it or anything. You've got to promote it all yourself. You know? No, but it's not. It's not even about that. It's not even about like the promotion or like the whatever like people listening to it. it just has to do with how i feel about the actual album after it was finished and after it was like basically ossified and like made into a thing that i'm not in the process of making anymore you know um yeah it just like it felt it just like i was yeah don't but, you feel it was worth doing though yeah it's definitely worth doing okay. but but like the essay i wrote about it um kind of made more sense than the album itself because i was because i was i was like elucidating the um the the i guess the ideals or or like some sort of um i don't want to say like intellectual like discourse around it but something to kind of give it that sort of form so it's not just merely a series of songs yeah and and so that's that's what's that's what I, I I can't really get behind right now is just things being like merely songs, um, and I can't explain why, but I just that's just what my intuition says. Hmm. Um, there needs to be like a greater purpose in these things. That's why I'm trying to like go more towards like visual media and stuff like that, and like yeah. film and that sort of thing, and um, yeah, like my intuition is like telling me that film and cinema is like way more of an important expression of our times yeah than than just albums and songs and that sort of thing maybe um, yeah i could i feel like the um because we, we, we need to make sense of this time because we don't really know what's going on and so just merely getting lost in like these distractions of of like good good songs like good clean verse chorus verse chorus like pop structures it's like you know it's it's happened like we need to like see what like what's next like we've been we've been in this lineage of of post beatles music for 60 years now and it's like i am I'm, I'm just thinking like like what's the next logical step yeah as as a musician as an artist whatever um and I mean, it's it's no it's no mystery that like you know right now podcasts are big. It's because one thing I was thinking about like like 
like why are podcasts big but like starting bands isn't or like like listening to bands yeah. listening to music and that's because i feel like people are more interested in listening to new music in particular when they have a sense that like their time is the time or that like the time makes sense yeah. but people are listening to podcasts now because it's almost like an instinct to kind of like figure out like what is going on in a sense, like yeah. what what's happening because there's obviously like a big, like there's a lot of vexations and like disorientations around, around this period of time. And so art needs to be like working on that. Um, and anything yeah. that's like merely personal or merely like an expression of the will to like do something big and grand and ambitious is, um, if, if it, it seems like it's kind of like it like stops in its own tracks or something. So here's what this kind of made me think of was, you know, Kierkegaard says that there's like two kinds of ages you can be living in. You can be living in an age of reflection or an age of um, uh, passion. And yeah. so he uses the example of like someone throwing a gold coin a gold doubloon out in the middle of like an icy river or pond. And he says in an age of reflection, everyone's going to stand there and wait for someone to go out and try to get the coin. But when they do, everyone's gonna be like, that guy's an idiot. This ice is too thin. He's never going to get to the golden coin. Um, but in an age of passion, people are like, who's going to go out there and get the gold coin? Like they want hmm. to get the gold coin. And he's, he, you know, cause he's a Christian. He sees that, as actually being more the the age for Christianity is an age of passion. Hmm. And I feel like that what you're talking about, it's kind of like an age of, uh, we're in an age of reflection. Yes. Clearly. And podcasts are that, they're reflection. All social media is like discourse, it's criticism. It's, it's also reflection. it's also all nostalgia too. And sort of par partly too, I think the answer to your question about, um, yeah, that too. But partly the answer to your question about like, why isn't anyone becoming, okay, so I'm not saying it has to be like arena rock, but like, why aren't there like these sort of Bono Springsteen or type even, even, even like egos? Um, even like um you know uh you know Michael Jackson's thriller comes out and it's like it's universal like yeah. it speaks to everybody and like even like they had to put a rock song in there they had to put beat in yeah. it to like appeal because again like it's like a universal project that's like non-existent right now well I think the, that's partly though because people feel like they're living under you know the rays of everyone else's uh, reflection and criticism and perception. And it almost like encourages you to have a kind of like, not, not try, not like risk, risk creating a fiasco by going all out in a crazy way. You know, you're trying to create, people are trying to create things that are going to like go over well, regardless, but like, or at least like people will respectfully review it. You know, pitchfork right. will be like, this is like a sonic landscape that, uh, you know, right. conjures up like feelings of right. whatever. But I feel like um, that is like a prison, you know, it's like living in some sort of Puritan village where everyone is watching everyone else's behavior all the time, you know? Right. But if we're, if we're living in an age of reflection, which we are, you can't usher in by your own will in age of passion so all like the well only thing what's going to usher it in then no it just it just happens it's it's zeitgeist it's like there's 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 spiritual energies to time that like determine how people are and like that's 
blatantly obvious based on like what happens. I mean, we can't. Yeah, but don't you have to have a world spirit to usher in the new zeitgeist, like a Napoleon? I'm just saying, like, like, like what, like what, what you're doing. It's like, okay, we live in an age of reflection. Yeah. You want to usher in a new age of passion. The only thing, and there are other people that want to do that too. Yeah. But what they end up doing is that they just reflect on previous ages of passion, but because they can't imagine. They can't imagine what a future age of passion would look like. Okay. And therefore, they can't make that happen because it just happens. Well, I'm not future... saying we should repeat the past, but I'm just saying the past has always been the fuel for the, the future. Like, you know, if you think about the Beatles or Bob Dylan or any of that stuff or, you know. Maybe they're... it starts that way, but it doesn't end up that way. Yeah, yeah, of course. That's all I'm saying. I agree with that. Right. But we... it does. you do have to, like, will the age of passion, too, I think. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But it's 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 not really up to us. It's not like fully up to us. Like it's going to happen and we're, we're not going to actually. Um, and I'm looking forward to to a new age of passion. Um, if 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 that's like the system we're working in, yeah. it's like these alternations of these two. I think it's probably more nuanced than that. But um, like, I, I, I mean, I, I, I do think about like Mark Fisher's, you know, you know, the, the future is canceled. Like he he. He he, he was a music critic, but he 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 had a bigger vision, you know. Yeah. Of um culture and and things like that, and do you, do you know about his idea about the future at all? Yeah, it's the idea that we can't create compelling visions of the future anymore, so we just yeah create like chopped up bits of the the past's right. way of imagining right. the future. But what's interesting about him is that he actually like says this happened at a specific time. He says it was like two thousand four. Okay. He said, like, at 2004, that was, like, the end, pretty much, of history, sort of. <laughs> at least as far as maybe he was more talking specifically about music. Um, because he was, um, you know, involved in a lot of electronic music niches in the 90s. Yeah. You know, like, Rave and um, IDM, um, Jungle, D&B, things like that. Um that were actually like expressions of the time and it's like something that they couldn't have predicted um it just kind of happened and, like they fell into it and like made sense of the time yeah but there's nothing like that right now there's nothing like that i would say the closest thing we have to something that feels like right now is this trend of what i would call like um what's some someone had a someone says something about it. It's basically there's a lot of shows and movies about the rich. Yeah. Right now. Yeah, Succession. The Succession, the Crazy White Lotus, Rich Asians, um, Triangle of Sadness, The Menu. Yeah. Um, the new Glass Onion movie. There's yeah. like a bunch of them, and you know, say what you want about the quality of these movies. I mean, a lot of them are really good, but like, it feels right for me at least. If makes sense for 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 um shows and movies to be depicting this it feels very contemporary and that is literally the only thing i'm interested in right now is like i don't care if our culture sucks right now if or if our culture is like not what it should be i don't care about any of these ideals i'm like literally just focus on like what is actually like makes sense right now because because like uh, the the alternative is like we're watching but where does what makes sense right now and what you personally just love like where do those things intersect 
Because um, I just feel like, I mean, I'm interested in what other people are doing. I think you should think about like an audience and all that kind of stuff. But I feel like what should really guide you with your own like music or writing or anything is really just like what you love, you know? Like, no, no, I agree. I agree. So, so, so I, I have this idea like, like we all need to be like one of the most important things we all need to be doing is what I would call like building a library. Yeah. Right. And what I mean by that is, is, is what exactly what you're saying is like actually paying attention to things that you, you have affinities for. Yeah. And like things that you actually like think about a lot. Yeah. So, so, but you should also be like searching in a lot of different places. So ideally like your library will like be like a mix of a lot of things. Like it'll be like a few random books. Yeah. It'll be like some YouTube videos that you watched. It'll be things that like some things that are considered like part of the canon or things that are considered important. Yeah. Um, and then there'll be things that aren't yet considered important, like a YouTube video. Yeah. Like you could watch a YouTube video that could be as important as far as like things you think about and keep referring to in your mind yeah. as like a great work of literature. But then there's also like great works of literature that just won't work for you right now. Yeah. And like, you have to like recognize that you can't just be like, Oh, this like film or this, this book is like, you know, intellectually significant in the Canon or something. Therefore, yeah. like that has anything to do with, with your affinities and like what you actually end up thinking about, mm -hmm. you know? Cause, cause I mean, I've like watched a lot of like, not a lot, but like, you know, I'll like seek out things that are like considered important. Um, but then afterwards I like, I'm not like thinking about it. Like it doesn't like, it doesn't hit right now. Like yeah. it, it's not like making sense um, for myself or for the time or whatever. And that's fine. That's fine. Right. Like yeah. we have to be like building this and, and, and this is the best time to be building a library because, um, First of all, we have access to all these things. Yeah. Um, we seem to have like the time and the 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 respite to like to like kind of take in all these things and digest them and and we also I think have maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but I feel like I have a greater ability to to discern between what the culture tells me is important and what like I'm actually thinking about, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's, that's like the only thing we could really do right now, but we, but we can't be like prioritizing, um, like, you know, these car, 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 pencil mentalized. What's the word? Car, car, car compartmentalized. Compartment yeah. yeah. Like er eras of time. Like, you know, people will worship, the 90s or the 80s or something and but like when you're when you're listening to a song from the 80s and you're like i want to be there but it's like you don't really know what that is you're just like it's a song it's like you you're saying you want to be in the song pretty much yeah or like you watch like a movie from the whatever from the 50s you're like you're like you want to be in the 50s it's like, like no it's like you want to be in be... an era where, when people could sort of feel the things that are expressed in those songs you know like I know that um so I remember there was this episode of the the like Vampire Weekend guys radio show where him and the co-hosts they were talking about how like in the 80s there were all these songs that were like way more definite in their like lyrical sentiments like the song by Huey Lewis that's in uh, Back to the Future it's like that's the power of love 
and he's like saying that is the power of love you know sort of but in today's world there's a lot of songs like by justin there's like this justin bieber song at that time that was like what do you mean that was like the chorus and it's like what do you mean you know we don't know we don't know right. what's happening right and there's also and, and maybe when you listen to an 80s song you have that nostalgia for like i want the certitudes of ronald right. reagan's america yeah <laughs> i want to be living in a time when like I was in love and I meant it. You but know? what a beautiful thing that that happened and that we yeah. don't have that anymore. Like there's, there's, there's like, no, <laughs> yes, no, 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 no. I we, demand certainty in my life. I'm, uh, I, I'm I don't know fully, if that's true, but I'm I, fully embracing the contemporary age. Like anything contemporary that happens, I want, I want all of it, all of it. Yeah. I don't think you should hate the time you live in or like root for it to fail or just give up on it. But I don't know. I feel like you should try yeah. to infect the time you're living in with your own own perverse like vision of how things should be. You know, you should be trying to like Balzac when someone said, you know, you're such a great observer of society, but all you do is stay inside and write all day. You actually don't go out and observe society. Balzac's like, that's because I'm creating society. Yeah. Like the art that you're creating is what will like meme everyone into like right. acting, you know, I guess. Yeah. I guess what I have a, what I have an issue with is, um, it's not necessarily nostalgia in itself. It's like nostalgia, um, but without like a wider historical knowledge. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's it's just like it's like cherry picking these 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 artifacts of certain times, um, but not like taking in kind of like a wider vision of of history up up until now. Yeah. Um. And I mean, like, like you, like you could take some, like you, Sam Bunce could like take something from a certain time. And I know that you have like perspective, but a lot of people don't. Yeah. A lot of people are just like, they're like that good, this bad, you know, they're like very like cut and dry. Um, this good because past like, you know, you see this in like YouTube comments a lot. If you look at like, the YouTube comments yeah. for like an old classic song, they're like, "This is better than WAP." Yeah, they 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 just say like silly things. They just like like stuff about like how their childhood ended. It's like, well, that's not really insightful. Like, there's like so much. You know, if if you're talking about like the death of your childhood, I mean, I know a lot of people are teenagers. It's fine, um, but like. There, there's 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 more to be said about like loss of innocence than than just like you know you know what i mean i don't know yeah um well i'm not saying that we should live in slavery to the past i'm just saying that we should strive to become micro gods in our own right and and bend history to our will but we can't we can't do any of that until we figure out what's going like we can't figure out how to bring okay for, here's an example we can't figure out how to bring back um a kind of the sentiment in older love songs that we all love of like yeah. you're the one like we're having this great thing going on etc cetera, etc cetera. and then you have like this Mitzi song nobody yeah where it's about like having nobody and being alone and just wanting a kiss that's like a contemporary so we have to like figure out why that's happening first yeah. um and maybe not solve the puzzle we have but to like figure it out though do we have to figure it out before we do something 
can't we just do stuff like if i'm feeling an emotion no, we, that isn't like all the uncertainty and being like nobody if i'm like yeah she is the one you know can't i just uh write a song about that well people still do that i don't know but but yeah but can't we don't we have to challenge the the gatekeepers and like defeat them at their own game who's gatekeeping i don't know whoever makes these things famous and popular no the, the, the reason the chinese no, 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 no. who developed tiktok in the first place the, no the reason the reason nobody by mitski is yeah. an extremely popular song is because it's extremely relatable to teenage girls yeah and guys too maybe but like well, yeah music i mean music well, there's always been songs like that well mu- music is always like maybe not like guns and roses and stuff but like pop music generally has always been like the realm of like teenage girls like it goes back to the beatles and teenage to boys but the teenage boys don't really have a role in it anymore. no teenage girls more i mean like like think about <sighs> think about the most famous artists B- bts justin bieber one Direction. Well, the, now, yeah, but I'm talking about like Backstreet Boys, NSYNC. They were all like Led Zeppelin, Metallica, though. That's all male rap, mainly all male. You know, back. Yeah. But that doesn't exist anymore. That whole teen boy thing. The teen boys have just been left out to dry. And yeah, this is a pro masculinity podcast. They're not. They're not doing anything. But it's a pro femininity podcast too. Um, Maybe I'm just trying to take it easy on my listeners right now by You gotta take a But when I say pro masculinity, I felt compelled to then say pro femininity. Like that wouldn't be assumed yeah. or something. You're such, a, you're such a diplomat. Yeah, I felt like I was I was cucking myself right there. Yeah. I feel you like were cucking yourself. I feel like um we're pro masculinity podcasts, all right. Just I wonder, deal like, with it. Has anyone gotten this far yet <laughs> in, the, in this podcast? Hopefully. Who's listening right now? Tastemakers. If you're <laughs> if you're listening, light a candle. Men or, of tomorrow, untimely men are listening to this podcast. If you're listening in the year twenty forty one, yeah. Um, say what up to to uh your your AI your girlfriend. Re- that's what I was gonna say too. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna mo- go more graphic with it, but uh I mean I your your ideals your ideals are robust and I find that really compelling. I do. Thanks. I mean, I, I do mean that. I'm just trying but, to to ho- to fill you with the hope that that hopes, even in the midst of the total wreckage of everything. I do think I I just do like with art. I do believe we need things that are like calm and nuanced and not manic. That's 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 my thesis for this podcast. But you like William Blake, right? Um, I don't think this is a William Blake era, though. Hmm. Well, because his whole thing was like exuberance we're in more, and like we're in more going the, beyond, you know, taking no, we're, it we're that more, one step. Yeah, I mean, further. I I believe in William Blake and that he like lived in obscurity. I believe in that. I believe this is the time to like live in obscurity, and like work in obscurity and die and die fruitless. I think it's the time to just. Uh, it's like what really has to happen more is like you're talking about the law of the desert, right? But like, if you the think about the law, yep. this might seem like an unusual comparison to some of you out there, especially if you're like a boomer con uh, type who who's very afraid of Islam. But trust me, you have nothing to fear. Um, you know, if you think about Islam, right? It's the it's the religion a religion of the desert, right? It comes from the the harsh. Well, all religions do, isn't that what um the guy that wrote Frank Herbert, Dune. 
Yeah, that's what he's. He was like a geologist. He was like, oh wait, all religions came from the desert. So it comes from what you're talking about—the obscurity of these little oases scattered throughout the Arabian desert. But when a bolt of inspiration struck, you know, they poured out of there and they seized the abundance of the rest of the world. You know, they conquered the Persians and the Byzantines. I'm not saying we should literally go do all that, but I'm just saying that we should, you know, it's a similar thing. You go, you go through the, the period of exile and abandonment, and then in the end you get to, you get to finally reap the long sought for fruits of all your tears and labors. Yeah. In the afterlife, so to speak. No, now and in the afterlife. Yeah. I want victory. I don't want to just like lose. But I feel like what you're saying is true. Like, that's kind of why I'm pressing against it is because I feel like, yeah, you might just get totally effed mm-hmm. and, like, you know, Kafka or whatever, he didn't really have all that much success. And then he dies of tuberculosis. And then after he's dead, then everyone starts liking his books. Yeah. I don't want that to happen. I want that to happen I while I'm so, alive. I find it so charming. It's so it's so avant-garde to die to die fruitless. What I'm saying is I just want money. <laughs> I want people to okay, pay well, me to do the things well, I the like thing. okay, doing. So, so, just pay me. Like um Socrates when they put him on trial, he was like um they were like what do you think your punishment should be for like seducing the youth with your ideas? And he was like you should give me the same rewards that you give a victorious Olympic athlete. Give yeah. me a cottage, pay for all my needs, give me a chicken coop. That was like what they gave them. Yeah. Well, this th- is, I'm here to tell you, this Peter is, this Thiel. Is kinda, this is kind of tangential, but um, yeah. But I, um, you know, at the uh, beginning of the year, you know, like right, well, like in December, we all did our in and out lists yeah. for 2023, right? Yeah. One of my big um, in and outs was the the epic. So. The epic novel, and when I say like the epic novel, that's I don't out. Yeah, well, let me finish. So, like, when I say epic novel, it doesn't necessarily mean like a book. I just mean like the idea of like an epic or something. Like, it could be like an epic Marvel movie, whatever. Ooh. That's out, and what's in is the novella. The novella's in right now, and I mean, I guess that's kind of inevitable because people's attention spans are more novella. No, 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 no. But... It's not. It's not an attention span thing. It's a completely aesthetic choice i'm making i'm not i am not at the whims of people's attention spans or lack thereof okay that is not interest me at all it's either a thing or it isn't a thing you know what i mean like if if someone doesn't want to pay attention that is not gonna that is not gonna be my my master okay you know what i mean so like making i'm not saying like the novellas in because people are you know don't have the attention because obviously you know big marvel three-hour marvel movies were being made and people were watching them and long tv shows long epic tv shows are still being made and people are watching them i'm talking about like the 80 minute movie you know like the 70 to 80 minute movie that is like what's up you know yeah like um like i watched you ever seen ida that movie no it's really good you should watch it. it it influenced like um Paul Schrader's first reform because it's shot in like a square sort of, sort of. Oh. Um, but it was like a Polish movie from 2013. It's 80 minutes long. It's about this um, this nun, well, this like novice nun. She hasn't taken her vows yet. Who um, gets in touch with like her last remaining relative, 
and kind of uncovers like her her past um this takes place in the 60s so she was born during the war and like her family was is this an Jewish. erotic film what no i'm just no not at all this is like the literally the opposite of erotic there are actually some some erotic parts but not in the way you're thinking i'm just messing um, around um and as i was saying before another like novella movie that i said is like a masterpiece is after sun right yeah it's that's like a hundred minutes, but it has the feeling of a novella because it's so small. Yeah. And this idea of like after sun is like my ideal for what art should be right now. Because All right. Well, I have to see it before I comment. Yeah. I, guess. I know we, we talked about it outside a little bit, but I'm just saying it for the for for the whoever's listening. But it it has it's 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 too small to fail. Yeah. Like we got to be making things that are too small to fail. Like, well, like they're small enough that they're masterpieces. Have you, um, there's this thing like from the one Robert Browning poem, Andrea del Sarto, which is about this painter, Andrea del Sarto, who was known as the flawless painter, but he was like a rival to, I forget if it was Da Vinci or Michelangelo. I don't know. Whoever was like alive at the same time. And, you know, obviously those painters became more famous, but Del Sarto, it was like he never did anything that, like, went beyond or challenged his abilities beyond a certain level. He was flawless because he, like, stuck with what he knew how to do. And there's this line in there that's like, if a man's reach should exceed his grasp, then what's a heaven for? Meaning that we should stick with, like, what's within our range on earth and let heaven be heaven. But the problem with that. And the kind of people attribute that sentiment to Robert Browning, who wrote the poem. But the the irony is that like Andre Del Sarto is being cucked uh, in this poem. It kind of like comes out, and the point is that like you gotta like take the romantic big swings because otherwise you're gonna get cucked, bro. I that's <laughs> I don't know if that's really the point, but it's like I don't know. I feel like we have to like reach beyond you know risk total destruction who says you can't reach beyond in a novella okay well i agree with that and it's about it's about the it's again it's not about a novella as in a book it's about the novella mindset okay yeah we need a novella mindset well i guess all a lot of my favorite the bronze the bronze age mindset's gone we're bringing the novella mindset in okay folks don't agree with this because they're all you know they're 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 you know disenchanted with the flaccid era and so they're reaching to grandeurs yeah um but i i don't think that's the solution i think we need little little graces well it comes off really like desperate and corny when you're right thinking that you're going to become like some ancient greek pirate conqueror <laughs> but you're just like some dude on your computer um and it yeah. like you're finding all these excuses to not live real life like a lot of these people are like i will only settle for like an anime bride <laughs> because right. like it's like well that sounds like you're arguing for being a pathetic loser yeah so i uh and arguing that that makes you an ubermensch you know instead of like actually seizing the yeah. real possible life so yeah i agree with you actually i kind of see what you're saying now i think that yeah. i and just like like what you said like like people like like reading a bit of nietzsche and then like they, they think they'll have they have this enlightenment of like a 
they're like you know they're taking this pure like thing yeah. and they're just like they're using these words and they're just like kind of cherry picking it and using it to like justify their own like manic delusions of grandeur you know what i mean but yeah okay and like this idea of a bronze age or this idea of an ubermensch this idea of a superman whatever it's like that's just not the point yeah it's you like none I mean? of you are that so yeah it's yeah and also none of you are that anyways i keep turning my head towards like this audience yeah <laughs> it, it'd be like look you guys like so so we're on couches in my living room yeah. right now if, i don't know if we said that earlier but yeah um and sam keeps facing the computer which is recording it as and i like yell at it and i gesture towards it like threaten- yeah. threateningly kind of but we're pretty we're pretty cozy this is a cozy room don't you agree i feel like i need a fireplace it is cozy yeah yeah i just need like more stuff on the walls maybe yeah um yeah we need to yeah it's like to break people out of these online prisons of these delusions of grandeur i get where you're coming from now i think that this is like putting it together for me more I feel like we have right. to destroy these. We have to disillusion these people and like destroy their their illusions to bring them into like a real real life that they can then seize the actually seize the day in. Yeah. How how is it like any representation of of reality when you have an online audience? Like what what even is that? Like yeah. like that's never happened before. There's no there's no precedent to having an anonymous audience. Yeah. Um well I guess maybe there sort of is for like artists that have like an inch you know whatever but it's not as it's like online it's like anonymous but also like in your face and visceral and and personal at the same time but it's also like there's the distance so it's like a yeah contradiction of like proximity but also distance and like there's no precedent to like like how to deal with that or like what it does to the person mm-hmm. to to be in that situation and that explains why like you have these you know micro celebrities on twitter or whatever or, or even like tiktok or whatever that are you know they're they 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 just they end up becoming more narrow like they're, they're yeah. narrowing themselves further um but what happens when that audience goes away then like they end up like narrow they have they've been narrowing themselves without realizing it whereas we need to be like going a bit wider you know so you know we should all be um, you know, just like drawing or painting, even if we suck at it, we should all be like writing blog posts about whatever we're interested in. We should be, you know, you know what I mean? Like, like yeah. just like like doing stuff like that, like these like little humble things that like aren't really for an audience. Like they're more private for our friends and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, because there's no real reason that like art needs to be this big public grand thing. And there's no, it it hasn't really been the only the only reason we we feel like it should be that big is because we have like these models of success cherry pick through history of like you know this musician this writer who had some sort of influence in some way yeah and but that's a very specific situation that's completely unique to that person right i think that it's meaningful to create art that's just like for a local audience like i mean i guess that's what i'm doing i guess that's what we're both doing you know yeah but at the same time i'm not really saying that like you actually should be conquering 
or that any of us should actually be conquering like arenas and like getting that kind of audience. I'm just saying more like, what if we were creating like an elaborate Tommy type concept album or like Quadrophenia or who's next type rock opera concept album, but you were doing that just for like your own enjoyment or for your friends. I mean, I guess you're kind of doing that actually with Apiary and Wreath. They are like elaborate albums like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's that's exactly it it's um i guess you were sort of saying you wanted to get away from the grandeur of well i do yeah i do confess that when i was doing apiary like some of the songs i just i just thought i don't know i just i had like just like 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 true like true delusions about like these sorts of things but like what do you mean what were the delusions i don't know i just i just thought it would like i don't know i just thought it would like fit the times in a way or yeah. something. Um, but what I was going to say is like going back to this idea of making art for more private audience. I mean, I've, I used to be on TikTok and I used to like make TikToks and I got like 2,500 followers, um, which sounds like a lot, but it's really, it's nothing. It's like, yeah. um, but like I would, you know, do stuff like stuff I wanted to do and I would post it on there. And then like, you know, go on a for you page and just be like shown to random people around the world. And like, I would get comments of people being like, like just confused. Like they didn't like, you know what I mean? Like they didn't get it or yeah. they, didn't, they didn't understand why this thing was like on their page. Like they're like, why is this on my thing? You know what I mean? They would just make comments like <laughs> but that. That's like what I'm making. That's is not annoying. That, but it's not that weird. It's just yeah. like, I'm just like doing whatever. And it's just, it's just, it's really off putting and, discouraging in a way that isn't good to like to like make something and then it's just being shown to random people and it's just not it it doesn't work it doesn't make any sense yeah like like you know twitter's slightly better at it um because it is more like old internet you know that's that's yeah. the only reason i use twitter and not other i don't like instagram tiktok is horrible like i don't like any yeah. other things about the internet and i barely like twitter but at least it has like somewhat of like this kind of um localist but also kind of anonymous thing going at the same time yeah you know what i mean um on twitter twitter yeah yeah i agree with that yeah you can kind of be like a village village celebrity on there yes exactly yeah, like. it is kind of like 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 it is does feel kind of more like a village and and then the and of course village. and of course like a, a village also has like its petty gossip and it's like mm-hmm do you know what that person in the village did or whatever? And there's, there's these shadow sides to it, but it's also, yeah, it's, 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 it's a start, you know, it's, 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 it shows because Twitter is, um, very, very localist, you know, because if you start using Twitter lingo around normal people, they're like confused. Yeah. <laughs> and they think, um, like our mutual friend, Kat, I was just listening to the new episode with, with Perry, the lawyer Perry. Oh, I didn't know about this. Um, yeah, it just came out. I was listening to while I was walking dogs today. And, um, Kat was talking about how, you know, she's gotten off Twitter mm-hmm. and, um, she was saying, I hope I'm not like butchering her words, but she was saying like, she, she got so invested in kind of using Twitter vernacular or whatever, or just talking about things that are going on in the Twitter world, just like to normal, normal people, Chicago people. Yeah. And they would actually get like a little bit 
uncomfortable because because they didn't understand what she was saying. Yeah. They thought like maybe it's like some weird like bad thing or like maybe reactionary or something like that. Yeah. Even, like, even if it's not, you know. Yeah. Just because it's like esoteric or something. <clears throat> and um I forget the point I was trying to make, but Yeah, people do react this way. They get scared. Yeah, but it's 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 when you try to explain to them what like Bronze Age pervert is or whatever, even if you're not like endorsing it, just yeah. the fact that you know what something that freakishly weird is. People are confused, and that that's the yeah. thing. That's the thing is like, um, these things shouldn't be global. Like, there's no reason why, you know, I make this, I make like a Karma little song, and I'm like playing it on piano, and then it's just like it's just another thing on TikTok. Yeah. That is shown to like some random teenager in Pakistan and Japan and Korea. And they just have no, honestly, they just have no connection to like whatever Yeah, I'm trying to well, do. Well, you got to and- clip it. I think to get big on TikTok, it would have to be like, like the song that's like, I'm just a dummy. You would have to like put that over like videos of people doing dumb things. <laughs> Um, it would have to be something would... that stupid. But the, the, the amount of compromise involved I know. <laughs> is horrific and terrifying. It would tear the entire song out of its like But it would tear me. It would tear me apart. Like I don't yeah. know. Like there's Just nothing to get success. There's nothing good about this kind of compromise. It's like beyond selling out, you know? Yeah, no, like, I'm not like, saying you should do it. You like, should not do it. Like compromising yeah. on TikTok as an artist is beyond selling out. It's like selling out is like what is selling out it's like um you know you sign to a label and you have to like fight against your label a bit to like get your way yeah but like you still have a vision <laughs> of mm-hmm. like what you're doing um and T- if you're compromising yeah. there's like there's a little bit of fumes coming out of your nose yeah but with tiktok it's like you want to compromise like you want to yeah find the way into the algorithm it's completely dictated by these outside yeah. forces and it's like you, you it's like it's like a desire to compromise instead of like resigning to compromise yeah. you know yeah i guess it is kind of like taking the blue pill i mean and remaining in the matrix and making love to it yeah letting the agent smiths of the world get their way that's yeah agent tell you Smith what you is, should be doing is like the algorithm pretty much so so I don't know. I mean, um, I, I've I've been very blessed to like, you know, the best thing that's come out of making music is basically like making a lot of the friends I have now, you know, because I was um, uh, doing the Holy Agony podcast. Yeah. Initially, um, I did a couple songs and then that's how I met like Gabe and Solomon, who, you know, who are like yeah. really good friends of mine now, um, even though they live in different cities. Um, you know, we've hung out plenty of times, not plenty, but like a few times now. Yeah. Um, and it's like, you know, and you too, I know we, we didn't meet through like music, but like we just kind of met randomly Yeah. online as well. But that's like really all that matters is, is, is yeah. Just finding your friends. Yeah, I agree. But then can't we then form some sort of like Freemasons type secret thing that will then conspire to impose our will on the rest of the world? But uh, I'm not convinced. 
I feel like that's um again that's kind of like a nostalgic um again like we, we live in a disoriented time so we're trying to take things from history that that were logical and that were that were ossified into meaning yeah so like a, a, a remnant of that especially with with twitter people is they look at um a lot of like the manor bund kind of well i wasn't thinking of that i was thinking more of like a salon de la rose croix yeah no that's that, that's but that's kind of i mean the salon de la rose croix by you know, josephine peladan was like totally a dude bro who hated women you know oh, okay. so so i mean it's like there's definitely it's de- you know all of these like i mean i know like the the golden dawn i mean like you had evelyn underhill and that and like yeah. it wasn't exactly a boys club but like in theory well like in a lot of ways it was kind of a boys club just because everything was a boys club but yeah well they let in chicks that was sort of like their main yeah. i think part of that idea... they want to get laid yeah probably I probably honestly but i think originally they had lodges in freemasonry it's the that, same reason that paul mccartney got had like linda and his band is to get laid you know i mean yeah. that's not the best example but like you know like letting a girl and play tambourine in yeah bands. <laughs> yeah the hermetic order of the golden dawn was a good example of the kind yeah. of yeah because like a lot of people were in that they had a lot of but like what did they actually do like did they get anywhere they like, had like psychic mind battles with each other <laughs> and stuff i feel like I, i'm trying to imagine like what those meetings were like i feel like it was a lot of just insane autists who like had a few meetings and then it kind of fell apart maybe or something they would use tatwa vision to develop their clairvoyance and uh yeah. communicate with elemental beings like the salamanders and the gnomes and the sylphs and the undines yeah i wouldn't mind another like you know art movement like like an ist kind of like surrealists or yeah. the uh dadaists yeah that sort of thing where like someone writes like some obnoxious pretentious manifesto and yeah um, but i don't know what has not all been kind of done like what would the i don't know what's what's our what's our ist like like what's because but the thing is that like like sam and i like we're good friends we have a lot in common but we're, we're we do have very different artistic visions i think that's true which is great yeah but like i don't i haven't met anyone that has exactly my artistic vision i don't know if i have either but that's good i mean like we, we got to stay individualized yeah definitely i think that's one of the values um, right it's more just being open like i i feel like the important thing with art is just being charitable about it and like yeah actually being open to some sort of new thing um as a new thing you know because you have trads who are completely reject everything contemporary but in in doing that they're actually like lacking the greatest christian virtue which is charity and the purpose of art is to like yeah. train yourself into charity because you have to like see everything phenomenologically and like as individual entities yeah, and not as like parts of like ideological systems, you know, you have to like see a, a piece and like, like when you go into like the art Institute and you go to the contemporary section, if you go and you're like, this is all CIA funded yeah, and then you just walk away. That's not charitable. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just like, I'm really sick of the CIA funding people on Twitter too, who think everything's been funded by the CIA. 
but it's like even if it does like who cares like it's still like yeah the it, cia still... is starting to sound good if you're saying that they funded everything cool but but it's also like like if if something was funded you know like yeah this, this is this is not my my words but like the words of right-wing schizos like if they say like oh it's like funded by the jews or something like that yeah. right it's like that that doesn't really necessarily say anything about the actual thing it just says that like yeah it was funded by by people that probably thought it would be profitable it doesn't say anything about way. whether it's good or not yeah it just says like they, <laughs> they thought it would be a good idea to like fund it yeah. for for probably just for like very basic um economic reasons yeah um and like if you know i i don't i'm i don't really care if um like a contemporary work of art is like you know like they they say the art world is all corrupt by money and that may be true but like i'm still trying to just see things even if it's all bad i'm still going to like look at each thing and like actually try to determine if it's good or bad by its own merits you know as opposed to like absolutely yeah i was kind of thinking about that today because i was like looking at the um winners of the pritzker prize which is like the big architecture prize and those are all modernist yeah uh for the most part and then there's like the dry house prize which was like prince charles or king charles now funded it to uh and it's like traditionalist architecture more i was looking i was like i don't know i like a lot of these like modernist buildings they're like striking you know it's like i can see both sides yeah i'm not yeah like modernist art and architecture it's it's reflective of the time like i like i like you know seeing the progression from meaning to lack of meaning to meaning again and there's like these undulations right yeah um Well, well plus we live in a city that's like a center of modern architecture and i was sort of thinking about like well like what is being in the loop in chicago downtown feel like does it feel like being in a soulless modernist void not really not at all i I feel it feels to me like it has kind of like a i don't know like a nice feeling too it's like this like spacious sort of vast realm yeah it's cool no i like it yeah i I like it a lot um i mean i'm not saying all modern architecture is good there's definitely a lot of like weird like i don't know i feel like stuff that doesn't have a lot of windows in it that's a little questionable like if you're building like an apartment building for people that's just like a giant block of gray cement with like no windows questionable but but you don't need to like go into all these theories of the decay of civilization when you just point out buildings that are just kind of made pretty like flippantly and kind of without yeah. much love or care it's just it's yeah. not really that it's really not that insightful to make a big fuss about it. Yeah. Really. I mean, people will say like, Oh, like, you know, during Christendom, you know, they built these like beautiful ornate things. And yeah. But if people aren't thinking that way anymore, then I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I'm sympathetic to, to, to it, but at the same time, Again, I'm like interested in like why the disenchantment happened and like the the urge to like put 
um, you know, like Rococo. I don't know if that's the right word, but you know, like they put like you know symbols and gargoyles on. Yeah. To like, what's that called? There's a word for it on buildings where there's like you know tapestries like carved in. I don't know ornamentation. Yeah, ornamentation. Yeah. Um, if people aren't doing that anymore, then I mean too bad i guess i don't know yeah yeah i mean i guess the idea with modern architecture is it lacks like a religious or cultural specificity i mean i guess that's pretty obvious you know you're not you don't have like statues of jesus or anything sticking out of like modernist buildings you know unless it's like a church but i don't know i mean i guess that is kind of like an inevitable facet of like yeah. if you're building a bank or something or a movie theater in a world that's very multicultural yeah. and you know it makes sense they're not going to like festoon a movie theater yeah. or a bank with like religious statuary you know it's, it's kind of an aside but well not really fully aside but like um i did a tour of saint john Cantus, like our priest yeah like um just like wanted to show us around um and kind of like point out things yeah and you've been inside it's like magnificent yeah obviously and what's funny is that um it was built so so if you look at the top um they have the four evangelists yeah and so uh, yeah matthew mark luke and john and they actually misspelled matthew because they were just drunk (laughs) like when they were building it and painting it they're all just drunk polish working class so is that, that what he said that was the reason they misspelled matthew yeah that's pretty crazy. much yeah <laughs> they they um they they actually repainted it well like they repainted everything like you know they revitalized and everything um because the building was falling apart because do you know the whole story about not about, really well like i don't know again this there's a lot of interesting theories about what happened what happened but um, you know, there's these Polish neighborhoods, um, and, um, you know, you have St. John Cantus, you have the other one that's nearby, but they're all like right next to the highway. Yeah. Why are they next to the highway? Cause they built a highway through the neighborhood yeah. to fuck with the neighborhood. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so, so, um, in the early 20th century. Yeah, that's um, true. They all are right next to the highway. They did that on purpose. <laughs> like, they did that on purpose, um, which is so weird to think about um, and kind of weird and racist and that sort of thing because um, I'm pretty sure Polish Catholics were like POCs back then, more or less. Yeah. Um, at least considered that way. But anyways, um, there were 20,000 people that went to Kansas at its like prime. Yeah. Probably in the 20s or 30s. That many people? 20,000 people. That's a lot. Um, And it was like they were all just there. They just lived in the neighborhood. And you just walk there. Yeah. True walkable neighborhood. Um, they built the highway through, went down to 40 people. Wow. Within like a couple years. That's so crazy. Because all the, all, all the, um, the working class Catholics, mainly Polish, probably other, maybe Irish too. I don't know exactly, but they all just like spread throughout the city and the suburbs. Yeah. Um, and the building was falling apart. Apparently the roof was, um, collapsing because of all the pigeon shit yeah that was accumulating on top um and it was like it wasn't until like the 80s or 90s that they um 
the uh, the canon regulars who's like the uh the uh brotherhood yeah because because all the clergy there they're they're like uh they're like um they're religious they're religious like not yeah. like you know what i mean by religious like they're monks uh, oh okay like like there's like the word like you're a religious like yeah. a noun do it which applies to like if you're a nun or brother yeah or a priest it's like a wider it's basically clergy so okay i've, I've heard um, this i think but yeah so so they they're they're a brotherhood and so they take all three vows right so they don't have any money they they stay they live together in the, in the rectory um but they they just came and they just they just rebuilt it huh they just like brought it they brought it back and now it is what it is now wow um but it is kind of it's that is where i get sympathetic to these 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 ideas that are so lost to us of they they are actually sculpting and painting and building meaning into this building yeah. like like every single detail is has some deeper meaning in christian history yeah you know and um and there's and and it's like history is just like um built into it so like you see like on the right side you could see um um all these children kind of drawn uh, painted on top there mm -hmm. um and they're kind of gathered around like a priest or something like clergy yeah um all of those kids were like kids that went to the school like nearby yeah and so like what father nathan said was you know there'll be like an 80 year old polish woman that will point and be like that's me yeah <laughs> that kid is me huh you know that's cool um and so you see like this kind of history just um built into the building yeah and it's like eternal and it like can't be lost and um the fact that like yeah that's kind of like modern buildings come off as like a historical like there's no real way of sort of engraving that kind of human stamp on them you know they're kind of perpetually clean and devoid of that i guess but there's also just like an it's it's an unnecessary abundance uh -huh. like there's nothing necessary about any of of like what's you know like what's in the church you yeah. know what i mean like it could just be just like a protestant church if it wanted to be right yeah like it's just like an you know a cross yeah that's it but there's so much abundance there you know it's cool um and it's all there because you know human beings like we need we need like these external signs to kind of remind like literally like, remind us like physically because our memories are so poor mm -hmm. that we need to like remember like like we see like the pelican yeah engraved into the stone next to the altar and like oh like oh i remember like jesus the pelican you know yeah. the pelican self self sacrifices um themselves for their children right by like digging into their stomach or something to get food yeah um and so those are all just like reminders of of what we believe as christians but um yeah there, there's there's nothing like that so we're like forced to like remember everything and it becomes overwhelming and that's 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 where we get like these i feel like that's where we get these like ideas of like maybe this is like too tangential but like like software that like has like a certain amount of space mm -hmm. 
like we just have like a capacity of memory because yeah. we actually have to deal with the capacity because yeah. we don't have like the world being an external like solidification of our memory. Yeah. Um and so we're like we're forced to just like keep it all within us because there's nothing in our external world that like reminds us of like what this is all about, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, well you definitely had that in um the Islamic world too. One of the the objections that people had to like modernization in the Islamic world, you know, was like um you know, like Ataturk who took over Turkey. Um he wasn't really religious. He's probably an atheist or an agnostic and to break like the Islamic taboo against um building statues. He just built statues everywhere in Turkey. And so he, like he he was like um so but like like in like pre um modernized Turkey and in lots of like North Africa to Morocco, Algeria, which were subject to like more European influence, like everything around you was kind of designed uh to like evoke your remembrance of God, you know? Like your house was filled with like mats and carpets that were you know purified uh, or cleaned so that they'd be suitable for the like prayer you know mm -hmm. and like the traditional dress okay well i guess this is like a more appropriate point like the traditional dress which was usually like long flowing clothes long flowing robes uh you know it made it easier to perform all the bending and kneeling and the movements of the prayer you know it was like suited to that whereas when they switched to um wearing like jeans and suits and stuff like that it was like it, yeah it wasn't you know naturally adapted to that whole sort of all those movements and stuff like more awkward yeah. so yeah that's like the the argument that renee get on and these people make about the evil effects of modernity on uh is that yeah it removes all the signs that remember you mm -hmm. that remind you i mean that call you to remembrance well, but, that, that we still have power to do that within our own homes. Yeah. And that's what's so frustrating about the rich right now is that they just don't do that. Like, um, like I walk dogs for a living. That's one of my that's one of my my odd jobs. Yeah. And um, there's this one house I, 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 um, I where I walk the dog and um, it's like clearly like a three or four million dollar like new construction, like brick house. Yeah. Um. And um, I've, like, gone in because there's, like, no one there except for the dog. And so, like, sometimes I, like, go in and, like, get the dog. And then sometimes I'll go to the bathroom. And this house, I, I shit you not, like, no one lives there. Huh. Like, it's completely empty. Like, it has – it looks like it's, like, um, it's, it's, like, perfectly clean. It's, like, bizarre how perfectly organized and clean it is every time I'm in there. Like, I go into the bathroom – it's all brand new, by the way, just to yeah. be clear. It's completely brand new. Um, it's like they have, like, you know, like, there's the coffee table, right? And there's, like, yeah. like two art generic art books that are just, like, perfectly lined up. And then there's, like, a vase with nothing in it. And then there's, like, you know, there's a TV and there's, like, some couches and there's, like, furniture um, that's very angular and, like... Yeah. Um, but there's nothing in there. It's, like, it feels so empty. It's weird. This this would be a great time to plug my uh, short story, "The Cracks in the Wall," which is uh, on my blog, because it's about like a, a a disturbingly sterile and clean modernist mansion, 
that becomes <laughs> the site of, of horrific doings because that it sounds... is like a, a wound in the fabric of the cosmos, this like void, this like emptiness. Yeah. But like, yeah, it's, it, it's, that's what's so, it's, it's so frustrating to have that amount of money and not be like Donald Trump and like have like gold everywhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like have like tigers on a gold leash. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like things like that or the Siegfried and Roy, you know, like white tigers. Yeah. Like when I was, when I was Anglican and I, and I, I, I knew some, you know, rich gay Anglicans. Yeah. Um, like, uh, there's the, the organist, um, who's a, who's a Kellogg and, um, you know, I haven't been to his house, but he talked about like, you know, he specifically um, chose to purchase a home from like a very specific peak of Chicago architecture, like Art Deco, you know, that yeah. sort of thing. Like, 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 like that as it is. And he he purchased furniture entirely from the 1939 whatever year Chicago World's Fair. Yeah. So like all of his furniture is from like the World's Fair. And he has like five harpsichords, whatever, <laughs> things like that. It's like that. And he he wears he only wears Ralph Lauren suits. That's like all he wears is <laughs> nice. like he has like a whole closet just full of Ralph Lauren yeah. suits. That is how you're. That's how that's you how the rich. rich should be. And he's he's also like he like knows art. Like he like knows like music, and he's like one of the best organists in the world. Yeah. At the same time, because he's like had the um the 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 aristocratic leisure to like master yeah um music you know yeah um as opposed to like you have all this money and you're still working all the time and it's just you know what i mean it's mm -hmm. it's makes no sense all right i should probably get going pretty soon okay um any final words oh let's see how about you you're the guest um I'm sure there's something, but it doesn't come to my a mind. A pithy right summing up of everything. I mean, just remember... Stay, stay small while you can. That's a good one. Yeah, stay small while you can. Yeah, seek the wisdom of the desert, too. Seek the wisdom of the desert. Remember that um, uh, wisdom isn't found in the marketplace um, crowded with people, but in the, the waste um, spaces, the deserts of the world. Sorry, I kind of stepped over your closing line, which would have yeah. been better to. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, that's all. I, I got nothing to sell. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, this has been a, another uh, episode of the Bunscast, everyone. <laughs> Peace and love. Yeah. Okay. Peace and love. Bye. Bye.